Welcome to Down to Herf, the podcast for cigar smokers, whiskey drinkers, and for the people just looking to kick back, light up, and have a good time. I'm your host, Jerry, and I'm joined by, as always, my co-host, Gio and Caleb. Fellas, fellas, fellas. Uh... What a crazy, crazy little afternoon we just had, huh? Caleb, what's up? You know what? Uh, on a cigar number two already. This is clearly post-recorded. Uh, great interview. Had a fun time. Uh, Jerry's birthday episode, so make sure you guys comment happy birthday for Jerry. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Getting closer to 40, as the boys will mention <laughs> later in the episode. You know what? You're becoming a seasoned veteran. As, as I like to say. so Still don't even have a gray hair yet, so who uh, gives a fuck? I mean, I have a gray hair, so just one. In my beard. On your balls. <laughs> <laughs> Gio, what's up, brother? Well, I don't have uh, gray ball hair. That's that's good. But, that's good. Yeah. This guy is so clean. It just looks like a, it's just like a clean-shaven scrotum. You just, know. just shaved his balls. <laughs> <laughs> Freshly shaved nutsack. Nice little narrate too, you know, keep it clean. Great intro. I hope Steve likes that. <laughs> well, I mean, now that Caleb spoiled it, guys, uh, just so you know, this interview is actually gonna be talking us talking to the one, the only Steve Saka from Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. This interview was really fun. We actually had, you know, the conversation went a few different directions. Didn't really know where it was gonna go, but. I enjoyed it, and while we were doing that, we got, before I get into what we were smoking, I do want to take this time to thank our sponsor of the show, Crown Heads. John Huber, you know, as always, great. Uh, talking to that guy damn near all the time, and like I said, he's doing big things there, teasing that uh, LC24 on his story the other day. You guys see that? Uh, I just don't want to think about money right now, dude. I really just don't want to think about it. Um I just know it's going to be money. Yeah. It's going to be money, and I'm I'm ready to spend it. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, smoked a Mildias Maduro yesterday at work. Primo. Crownheads having a great, great start to 2024, and I'm sure it's only going to get better. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Now, to get into the nuts and bolts of what we smoked today with Steve, we actually smoked the Sobra Mesa Wagashi. This cigar is going to be an MSRP of $17.95. Uh, it is actually comes in boxes of 13. It was originally made as like an exclusive for smoking. Uh, we find out later on the show that this actually was recently made a regular production cigar too. So not yet. It's being announced at PCA, Geo. Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Bing, you guys bing, bing. can get the Wagashi. Uh, yeah. after PCA, you can get that cigar as a regular production. Hell yeah, brother. And this cigar is an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper over a Mexican San Andreas binder and fillers from Nicaragua. Uh, it's a 6x50 Toro, and guys, pretty damn good cigar. Watch the episode. You'll see what we talk about with that. Yeah, it was decent. But I score it? 90? 90. Yeah, it was good. Man. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. It's all spoilers. Yeah. It's all spoilers here. But, all right, without further ado, 
we're going to get right into it with Steve Saka. Yeah, oh. right after we announced what bottle we were pairing this with. Because Gio is just, there's something wrong with him right now. He, something looks off. Bro, I don't know what it is, but that was a really smoky cigar, so it's like really made my eyes like water. Fuck me up. Get fucked. What did we pair this with? Twas a smoky cigar, but we are smoking Pikesville Straight Rye Whiskey. This is from Heaven Hill, uh, from the Bernheim Distillery, actually. So the release date is ongoing. It's 110 proof. It's aged a minimum of six years. The mash bill on this is 51% rye, 39% corn, and 10% malted barley. Very nice copper color. Uh, it goes for about 50 bucks. It actually, you know what? This product was available on shelves almost everywhere, but I think it's become, I don't want to say allocated, but I've seen it locked up. I've seen it given away in some raffles, some auctions. So not too sure what's going on here with this. So uh, what originally happened with this was this was uh, before Prohibition. The rye came from Maryland, and it was a very high rye-producing you know, state. Uh, it's been produced, Pikesville, since the 1890s, and it reemerged after Prohibition. Uh, it's a style of rye that they're trying to keep alive, and it's going to Kentucky, where they're aging in extra-aged barrels uh, from warehouses at Heaven Hill. So, they, you know, Heaven Hill is reclaiming this Pikesville rye out of Maryland. It used to be 80 proof, but now it is 110. Uh, I thought this made for a very good pairing. For 110, did not drink like 110. Uh, I don't know. It, it went very well with this Wagashi. I had no issues, no problems. Drank easy. I don't know what you guys thought about the drink, but, man, this was a, I don't know, it made for a great pairing. What do you guys think? I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think it overpowered the cigar, which would probably be almost impossible considering how mild the cigar was. Yeah. Uh, but I think that it has some very good flavors on it. Uh, very sweet, despite it being a 110 rye. Uh, I think you'd expect more of like a bite to it, but nah, I didn't get that at all. Uh, there's a little bit of spice in there, a little spicy, which, uh, you know, maybe paired well with the final third of the Wagashi. Uh, it says that this Pikesville is very comparable to a written written house bottled in bond. And it says it's actually kind of close to uh, Thomas Handy, the way it drinks, not the proof point necessarily, but just the way it drinks. So it's in between a written house and a Thomas Handy. And I, I haven't drank the Thomas Handy in a while, but it goes very well. What's so funny over there? Nothing. I just I, I I'm like doing I'm multitasking. Geo saw it. I was just making sure a file uploaded. It just looked really funny. Yeah, and it just. Oh, I, thought <laughs> like, <you guys> are, <laughs> I thought you guys were making fun of me. No, 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 no. no. I literally, Caleb. I would just make fun of you. Yeah. Short. We don't we don't discriminate on the show. Oh my god, dude! I was listening to Daniel Tosh's new podcast, uh, Tosh Show, and uh, he was talking to uh, what the fuck did I say Tony Horton. Remember P90X guy, yeah. like the fitness guy. And uh, he was talking about, like, uh, height. It came up in the conversation, and he was like, well, I'm, I'm 5'10". He's like, well, in the tall world, because Daniel Tosh, I think, is 6'3 or 6'4". He's yeah. like, in the tall world, we call that short. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he was like, hey, yeah, it's two inches higher than average. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but still, in the tall world, we call that short. <laughs> It was funny. You're resident uh, short king over here. Uh, I'd say grab a bottle of Pikesville. It fits the gap between a $20 bottle of Rittenhouse Rye, and it definitely fits the gap between paying 100 plus more for Thomas Handy. If you can get it. Did you touch MSRP, on MSRP on this? 50 bucks. 50 bucks. Around Not 50 bad. Bucks, yeah. Not bad yeah, at that's all. That's a reasonable price for a bottle. 
Yeah. Although, Caleb broke the battle chain of uh, bottles that we were going. It was an arms race. It was an arms hey, race. Hey, I already dude. spent 170 on that bottle of Booker. So, you know what? It's, you, know, you guys know me. I don't like to spend over $100 on a bottle unless it's something actually. You spent 170 on that? Yeah. How'd you feel about that? I hated it. Wasn't that same bottle like 120 when we were at James B. Beam? No. Well, that was the green label. I think that you got because I had it's just a different one. A different, it's just the next release. Whatever. We'll, we'll talk yeah. off air about yeah, it. Yeah, you had a different one. Yeah. Uh, that being said, Gio, why don't you introduce our guest? Well, all right. Now we bring you Steve Saka. Made it. Just for the record, you're still pixelated to me, but I don't care. You're probably more attractive that way. Yeah. <laughs> Truthfully... See, I knew he was going to bring this up. You're talking about Geo, right? It's definitely yeah. mine. Oh, his camera is absolutely dog shit. This, this, Google this is not how Google. the show looks, Steve. He's watched too much porn. Me, it reminds me of like when you downloaded porn in like 1991 on AOL. It <laughs> spent 40 minutes to get a picture of some girl that you didn't care to see. <laughs> and in the end, I'm, you'd I'm end up you know what makes this story uh, a thousand times worse, Steve? Geo makes like $120,000 a year. <laughs> Go fucking buy a camera, right? This wasn't a problem until like last week, though. To be fair, yeah. oh, he's working. This is not how the show looks. I he, promise. Like you. a separate camera, or is it your just built-in web? It's this Google Chromebook. <clears throat> All right. Something ain't kosher. Something's not right. Yeah, something ain't right with that thing, dude. You ain't lying. It's like the iPhone. After three years, they shut it down. The updates, they make you get a new one. He's been just. You have. Uh... Do you have a Mac or a PC? I have a Mac. I have a Google Chromebook, and that's why it's like this. This is the Android potato camera. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> it's been uploading too many uh, OnlyFans videos from your own desktop. Yeah, right. I guess so. <laughs> All right. Just geo-flexing in front of the mirror. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's start this shit. I know you're on a time crunch here, Steve. Hey, let's go whenever you're ready. I love, um, I love how... Your wife, in typical fashion, just drops it on you at the last minute, just like every wife does. No, my wife told me probably thirty-two times, and I didn't pay attention. <laughs> well, you didn't you didn't hear it until yesterday, so it doesn't right. count. That's exactly how my life goes. I don't listen to a word my wife says until the day before. And the thing about on this accident, is to, she always complains about this. So I set up access, like easy access, with a web link to look at my calendar. And she can actually add shit on my calendar, right? <laughs> but she doesn't use it, right? So it's like, but she would rather tell me 32 times for me to forget. <laughs> and even when I first emailed you, I thought it was a two. And then she had to like email me back say, no, 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 it's one. I'm like, come on. I'll like, be honest. I have, I have a very similar app that I use and share with my wife. I have never one time used it. And she's like, didn't you look at the <laughs> app? I'm like, What? <laughs> I don't know what folder that's in on my phone. Yeah, she, she wanted it. I didn't want it. She's like, I need this. Like, okay. I got like I'm that. sure I pay like nine bucks a month to have access to not use it, right? It's usually how it goes. You got to get on that free trial, man. Forever. <laughs> Just keep creating new emails. Yeah, fuck that, man. Um, all right. Gio, why don't you introduce our guest? <clears throat> well, guys, we are here with the one, the only... Steve Saka, the Saka Squatch himself, from Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Steve, appreciate you having on. Sponsor the show. First time getting to interview you. Looking man, forward you guys to are it. Expensive, man. This <laughs> better be a 
pretty banging show. <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad. Do you ever tune in and yeah, listen to it? Cheap date for some mooks. What, what are you, cops, firemen? You look like cops. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I, I just work from can home. You, can you stereotype someone or can you stereotype someone? <laughs> hey, man. It is what it is. We're going to get you. One way or another, we're getting you. Hey, did you get your sign? I know it was said, but if I didn't get it's in the no back and in, and in, and in oh, the shot, it looks incredible. Looks so it looks amazing. Steve. Not Thank on you. Caleb's fucking uh, potato phone. Th- these guys don't have Macs, so they're not in the future yet. They'll get there someday. We just need a couple more years of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust sponsorships, and we'll be there. You're gonna need a lot, man. When you yeah. suck down that Apple rabbit hole, is like you get you get into everything, right? Because it's all so interconnected. Which is great, but once you're there, you can never leave. You really yeah. can't. It's Hotel California all the way. Can you imagine, <laughs> as an Apple user, just one day saying, you know what? That new Galaxy looks really, really awesome. No, no fucking way. You no. could never, no. You nothing's compatible. Right. It's just you, you got it tied into your phone, your pad, your computers, all your various, like, I have three computers, right? Mm-hmm. Office, home, notebook for traveling. Yeah, it just it's you got all your Apple ID tags. And I know all that stuff. You can make it work with Android and you can make it work with Windows, but not convenient. Simplicity is the name of the game here. Right. Apple's very it, simple. I think, what, I think that's what Jobs had the realization of is that the geeks love all this stuff. And for the rest of us, we want it to just work like underwear. We want to put it on. We want it to keep our balls up and lifted. Want us to keep us a little dry, right? That's we we, we don't want to actually become structural engineers and know all the things about the stitches and the seams. And I think that was the brilliance of Steve Jobs. Now they've kind of gotten away with that because they've been adding crap on top of crap too lately. But what you don't want some vision pros? That was going to be my follow up question to that. Actually, I was going to say, do you think Steve Jobs would be very upset with the direction of the company right now? Yeah, I think he would. I think it's gotten. I think it's got. I think he's moved away from that intuitive experience that made it so seamless to try to offer so many bells and whistles, and then it just becomes a repeat of the reason I left the other platform. So I mean, I don't know, but hey, God rest his soul. All right, isn't that proof that being rich does not matter? When your time is your time, it's your time. What do you What do you die of? Pancreatic cancer, right? Yeah, I believe so. PC, man. You get that, man. It's done. It don't matter who you are. Alex Trebek. Uh, what's the, the what's the, the famous actor? What the hell is uh, his name? The black, dude who played Black Panther. Uh, Chadwick no, no, that was colon cancer. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of, No, no. He died of pneumonia. Um, why can't I think of it? Really, like, famous actor. He was in, like, all the 80s movies and shit. Oh, uh, Road Hot, Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Pancreatic yeah. cancer. It doesn't matter who you are, man. Doesn't matter. Let's get on to some happier topics. This yeah. is fucking depressing. Today's yeah. my 30, 34th birthday, so I uh, I don't want to think about the, the the number going up. Yeah, I wish it was my 34th birthday. Happy birthday. We have complete opposite uh, ideas on this, then. Yeah, congratulations. You managed to live another year. <laughs> One more trip around the sun, eh? <laughs> the uh, 34th anniversary of your parents doing it, so... <laughs> that's no, fucking disgusting. 34 and nine months. Exactly. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, here. That's right. <laughs> All right. Gio, let's uh let's get into the cigar that we're gonna be smoking today. So we're actually gonna be smoking the Sobra Mesa Wagashi for that you worked on with Cigar Dojo. 
Yeah. Really mild stick. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, so in Sobra Mesa, there was the original core line, which has a sun-grown Ecuadorian on it. And then, I don't know, five, six years later, we introduced the brulee, which is a, uh, a mild shade kind of version. Like, probably mild to medium, I think. It's not like uber mild. And then a couple years back, we tacked on a more expensive one, the brulee blue. That's a slightly stronger blend um, and more of a geek size. It's like a six and a quarter, I think, by... 46 or 48 i think i'd know this shit off the top of my head but we had a lot of stuff going on um and uh, it was a little stronger but we aged it longer and it's really weird because like in the sober mesa brulee family the regular connecticut shade smokers like the regular brulee more than the blue but the geek smokers who typically don't smoke connecticut shade gravitate towards the blue so when you look online, it's blue, 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 all the pictures and everybody raving about the blue. But oddly enough, when it comes to sales, uh, the regular old Toro, Robusto, and the regular when the regular brulee is the bigger. So what Wagashi is, is it was a higher-end interpretation more for the regular brulee guys than for the brulee blue guys. It's not a repeat of the brulee blue in just a larger size. It's actually, I, I find the Wagashi to be a little milder. Now, I read stuff online and people argue that it's stronger. They argue that it's, you know, this and th- you know how this works. Mm-hmm. You give yeah. 10 monkeys a cigar, you're going to get 10 opinions. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but I'm telling you, the Wagashi is really meant to be the step up for the guys that prefer brulee over brulee blue, not as a replacement for brulee blue. So when it comes to Wagashi, it's kind of a... Does it work for you or doesn't it work for you? If you don't tend to smoke really mild cigars, it's a skip. I mean, and the other thing too, like, you know, if you smoke heavier cigars, you got to be really careful with Wagashi because it's really easy to oversmoke it. Um, one of the things when it comes to all mild cigars, um, if you tend to smoke heavier cigars and you just try to smoke something, particularly Connecticut shade or really light, you s- subconsciously try to draw on it too fast too much because you're trying to get it to give you something that it can't and you just end up basically overheating and kind of crisping the cigar and it just turns bitter and accurate so that would be the case with wagashi if you're trying to force wagashi to give you a fuller experience you're going to be disappointed because it just isn't it's it's not going to do it it's not what it's meant to do so what are you smoking right now uh, I'm smoking uh, Saka Khan. The big boy. Yeah. So I, I tend to lean towards the heavier side of the portfolio. So for me, the, the mild stuff is the occasional smoke. I feel like this is the perfect cigar for this time of day for us. Early in the yeah, morning. Morning yeah. smoke. A little morning smoke. Yeah. Having a little energy drink. A little bourbon. Yeah, a little bourbon. <laughs> Starting the day off strong. It's your exactly. birthday. I, I lean towards the blue with espresso, right? Mm. The slightly knocked up version of uh, knocked up back to your birthday, notched up version. Uh, you know, for me, that's the better compliment for me than the Wagashi. The Wagashi is something that I have to go, okay, I really just want to just like super chill and, <clears throat> you know, take my time. For other people, they won't do that because if you're regularly a Connecticut straight smoker, then it's going to be just what you normally are into. So you're coming off probably a historic year for the company, I would say. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you yeah. put out some amazing cigars, absolutely crushing the consensus on Half Wheel. Um, that had to be a grind, man. Yeah, 2023 was a hard one. I mean, 2023 was kind of the culmination of the tail end of the COVID experience because so much got paused during COVID and I had so many committed projects that I'm still right now, I'm three projects behind that I should have delivered two years ago. Um, so I was trying to get as I'm trying to get caught up so I could move ahead. And, uh, and I know for, I mean, for everybody else, it's all new to you. So it all looks like, bam, he did all this in 2023. But I mean, a lot of that stuff was stuff that was being worked on in late 20 and 21 and early 22 in order for it to end up in market 23. So, uh, yeah. And it honestly, from a staging point of view, um, wasn't really good. I mean, I felt like I was stepping on my own dick the whole year. As soon as I released something. Pretty big. Oh, Tuesday, let me release something new. It's Thursday, let me release something new. I mean, it really, like, I dropped like 23 things last year. It was, oh, it, it was total insanity. Oh, yeah. End of the year, it seemed like from October, November, December, you were dropping. There's something new every day when I was looking on Facebook from on your profile. I was like, this is it crazy. That way to me, and it's just chaos on, on our end, right? And and then on top of it, so like we had Popetta like in our warehouse in October. It was supposed to be maybe end of September. It was supposed to be an October drop. And I like literally said, you know what? We're not selling this till January because I, I just don't even know where to cram it in. You know, it's, just, <laughs> yeah. it's so crazy. I absolutely love that cigar, by the way. The Pulp Thank you. Um, the well, opposite of Wagashi, like super peppery, ballsy, a little rough around the edges. I appreciate the broadleaf, too. And a nice size on that, too. Just a nice, small, little short smoker, dog walker. I think we did it on an after her before. We once. did. Yeah. Um, it, it was an event-only cigar, yeah, yeah, if, I don't, if I remember right, correctly. Originally, originally, we used it as the event-only cigar for about two years. So what made you want to put that in, uh, you know, uh, an entire project? Um, (laughs) Hey, man, I appreciate the honesty. Not not money from the point of selling it, but also from keeping the cost down on regular broadleaf production because the popetta ends up basically – so broadleaf wrappers are really wide. So in a typical wrapper, you get what we call a tenderloin cut. That's the one that's right beside the rib, left and right. And that's what you would get out of like a normal Habano wrapper, and that would be all you get. But on broadleaf, you tend to get two cuts. You tend to get the tenderloin cut. You tend to get the midsection cut. But then the leaf is so wide the way the, the, way the edge of the blade shoots out that there's always this strip on the curve that just is perfectly good that you can make four, sometimes five-inch cigars out of, not as often. And that's just getting scraped into the bin, you know, to end up chopped somewhere else. So by using that, you end up cash recovering that weight of the tobacco that you now don't have to express the costs cost back to Mike Rita and Red Meat Lovers. And it gives you a way to take that material and use it for something else because it's perfectly great material. Um, sometimes a little raggedy on the edge, but you normally can trim that out. And even if you can't, and you'll notice if you look at Popetas, sometimes the seams on them aren't as uh, perfectly defined you know, as they are like on a meat carita or a red meat lovers, but it, it gives you a way to use a really expensive material that you were otherwise just putting in a sandwich cigar that the factory was just going to sell us some crappy bundle, um, you know, chop it up. And separate of that, we also take the table trimmings that are coming off from the production of all the broad leaves 
Nikkei Rita and Umbagog and Red Meat and whatnot. And we pull those back instead of those going to the crappy bundle cigars. Because all you're doing is making the crappy bundle cigars better with that high-quality tobacco. Um, but crappy bundle cigars, consumers are going to pay, what, four bucks for one maybe if you're lucky and get those real <clears> estate <throat> smokes, which are like two cents a piece. So there's no money there. It's really just cash recovery. You can then cash recover it in a better grade product. So yeah. you basically what you're doing is you're making not a sandwich because a sandwich is a sandwich never has a distinct blend. A sandwich is a dumping ground for everything, regardless of what you're producing in the factory. Right. Sometimes a sandwich, sometimes they'll have a milder sandwich and a heavier sandwich, but that's about as good as it gets. And there's always a lot of variance in the product. That's why when you read, like somebody gets one of these $4 cigars in a bundle, it's, oh man, this is fantastic. And the other guy goes, what? Are you, are you kidding me? Are you eating donkey? That's <laughs> ass. Because it's not a consistent blend, right? It just isn't by nature. Whereas by us just keeping the table trimmings off those items and then us physically sorting, not using all the table trimmings, but actually hand sorting out the table trimmings, we can make a consistent blend for Popetta. And then you... In addition to just treating it as short fill, you leave those pieces long, the medium cuts, okay, the way they came off the table. And then what you do is you then pair it with two long fillers. You pair it with a, a Seiko Basse to give the cigar a basement in, bunch, in bunching construction. And then one piece of long filler Viso, which helps to give the cigar some structure so that way it ends up kind of retaining the ash. And it also helps to kind of slow the burn down because if you smoke a Popetta, you're going to get 45, 50 minutes out of that four-inch cigar. You might even get an hour depending on how quick you smoke. That was one of my notes when I would smoke them. Um, despite the size being so small, I mean, the thing smoked pretty long. You can get a good yeah. smoking experience out of it. Yeah, they're perfect work smokes for us. Like, you get, uh, you, We don't get a lot of downtime where it's like, oh, God damn it, I got to put this down. So something like that, like Pulpet is ideal. But that's another, another thing that I loved about the cigar. It's also a cigar that's so inexpensive to buy that you could almost put it uh, down. It, and Expensive is a matter of frame of reference, right? Sure. For the, for the guy that's smoking Drew Estate factory smokes, it's, uh, it's, it's super expensive. It's, you know what, it's $7 roughly list. Um, I think it's $7.10, $7.20. I don't even know the prices. Uh, retailer's going to discount it. Nap, he's going to put it 15% under. Ends up being like a $6.50 cigar. So, you know, for some folks, six fifty is too much to spend. Um, but you're getting, you're getting a flavor experience that rivals anything. Okay. That, so it depends on the consumer, right? It's just the way, it's the way all things are when it comes to price. It just depends on the consumer and what they feel is a fair value. I'm fortunate to say that I feel like a, an expensive cigar to me is under $10. So I, I don't know that I got it like that. I guess it is what it Look, is. I'm with you. I, I think that that is inexpensive. Inexpensive right? is like ten or less to me. I, I mean, like you said, to other consumers that might be that would be like super premium. And then you start getting into like, uh, you know, brulee blue. Now you're talking about like this is yeah, you're, at, yeah, you're like sixteen dollars. Yeah. yeah, it's a totally different. You're in a different. Then you know, obviously your moisture to sock line that you know. Then those even get up there too. Oh, those well, are those are like literally like twenty one bucks in a right. coffin. Those are, those are when you when you get into Muestras, you, you're in Padron, Liga, Opus, you know, uh, Alma Forte. You're 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 in that territory. It's a it's a totally different uh, segment of the market. 
touching on Liga, you had a big part in that. Didn't you create that blend? Yeah, well, that's... You're you know, credited it's with it. it. It gets argued all the time. Um, I don't want to take anything away from anyone, but I can say Liga Bravada would not exist had I not been in Drew Estate. It was a cigar that was original. I created the brand, the basic concept of the blends I created, the final selection of it was part of and parcel of blending it with Nicholas and with Yesenia and with Rubio. And in the end, I had the final say on everything. I chose the final blend. I chose all the sizes. I chose everything. I mean, I even set the prices on it. I mean, I did everything. So, 2013. let's rewind a little further back. Um, before, obviously, DTT was started in what, 2015, correct? Right. And you, you, you know, you, you ventured out, you decided to do your own company. Um, previous to Drew Estate, how did you get into cigars? So, previous to Drew Estate, I was a, an executive at a company called JR Cigar. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Big retailer. So I, Big retailer. I worked directly yeah. for Lou Rothman. Um, yeah, retailer, wholesaler, um, quasi brand owner. Well, not quasi. They were brand owners. We, we had at least 200 brands in the stable. Um, and I was the guy that, you know, went to all the factories, you know, helped keep all the projects on track. Um, I'm the moron that started the website back in the early days to do online e-commerce. Um, well, that's not true. They had it, but it sucked. It didn't work. You enhanced it for them. Yeah, well, they were losing like three million bucks a year on that. Holy but, shit! Uh, so yeah, it was a great experience because you know he was the number one buyer of handmade cigars in the world. Not even wasn't even a question. So basically, everybody was our customer, or everybody was our vendor, I should say. Um, so you basically end up with kind of like an all access pass to every single factory in every single country outside of Cuba, because you were their big dog buyer. So it was, it was a really, it was an exceptional experience for me. So I was with Lou, uh, late 99 through 2003. Um, and then we got bought out by Altidus. <coughs> and then before that, um, I was just a cigar geek. I had started, a I started a website. I guess today it would be called a blog. But the term blog hadn't been invented. It was called Cigar Nexus. And I was just doing all sorts of just dopey stuff that has been done a million times since. But I, I was actually the first one to do it. And uh, so it was kind of kind of weird. And because of doing that, and because I was first, I knew everybody before I went to go work with JR. I think that's the reason why Lou hired me is because I had already had a relationship with most of the primary players in the business. Low maintenance employee. <laughs> had all the connections yep. already set to go, you know, didn't need he any help with that. Alone. He just let me do whatever. It was kind of, it's kind of, it was really great. I mean, it was a good experience and I learned so much because, you know, up until that point, I was like really into cigars. I was really into tobacco and I was really geeking out, but I really didn't understand the business of cigars. So when you go to work, directly for the guy that's the number one buyer and seller of cigars that totally like just ruins your whole world you learn so much but also just kind of like it just takes the bloom off the rose you get jaded like really super duper quick once you see what's under the hood um and so that was a it was a very eye-opening and educational experience for me that uh, really formed the basis that 
when I got the Drew, I was able to bring the business side that I learned at JR, but with my geek component um, to start doing cigars that we started doing when I joined the company. Because before I got to the company, they had been doing um, primarily wacky tobacco cigars. It was all acid and stuff like that. Um, they had tried a couple times to launch traditional, but they had never succeeded doing traditional. And I was able to kind of bring the two things together. So I feel like when you say, um, you know, you, you, you get jaded and you see the part of the like the part of the job that's not sexy. I feel like uh, Gio and I can kind of relate to that uh, in law enforcement. Uh, when you see like recruitment videos and like recruitment posters, they always show the the fun shit. You know, you're jumping over a fence, tackling a guy, you're getting into a car chase, you're you know chasing dudes, getting guns and drugs off the street. You hose and puke out of the back seat on a Saturday night. No, they don't show you that. Yeah. They don't show the part after you do all that fun shit. The eight the, hours of paperwork. Yeah, the eight hours of paperwork. You're sitting there writing up a report. Why the fuck did you do that? Are you fucking yeah. stupid? And then your boss coming in and just absolutely fucking you in the ass, just telling you, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, getting chewed the fuck out by administration. Oh, no. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, dude, why? Like, that's the part they don't show you. So I I, I know it's a weird comparison to talk about, like, the sexy yeah, side it, of things, but every job has that. I mean, yeah, I think every, I mean, look, obviously, if you're a, a cubicle king in some sort of insurance company, Oh, we that's me. Yeah, that's Caleb. <laughs> that's literally, that's literally Caleb. Yeah. Right. I mean, you you go, you punch your clock, you do your hours, you take your cash, and you, you, it isn't part of your life. Where you guys yeah. being cops, being a cop is a lifestyle. It's part of your life, right? Me being in the cigar business, it's part of my life. I have to assume that most cubicle warriors, for them, it's just, hey, I'm going to go earn my cash so I can have my vacations and I can buy my toys and I can feed my family and I'm not really passionate about whatever PDF I'm working on right now. No passion at all. I just, uh, I'm just the worker and I go. <laughs> well, look, and that's, and that's yeah. really 99% of the people in the world, right? I mean, I mean, they always tell you do what you love, but let's get real. That is such a cliche thing. It's so <laughs> rare that you actually are in a position to do what you love. And even when you do what you love, there are a lot of parts of it that really suck. Fuck yeah, I mean, man. Fuck it's yeah. a job. It's work. It's the way it is. I mean, there's no, there's no two ways around. Wouldn't we all just rather be sitting on a beach, fucking, you know, drinking doing, a doing mimosa this. and a cigar? Yeah. I mean, fuck. This is what I actually love doing. And if I can make this my career instead of being a cubicle worker, well, I work from home. But if I could do this as a career, I'm doing it. There you go, man. So I want to go even back a little further than Jr. How did you even get into cigars, man? I mean, you're you're one of the most renowned guys in the industry. Uh, I mean, you put out banger products. Like as a young man, what was your childhood like to get into cigars? Well, look, I I grew up really working class poor. Um, my father was an immigrant. Um, the only person that smoked in my family was my mother. Two cartons of Pall Malls a day. Two cartons, so I get two two to three packs a day. Nice. Of Paul Malls. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I, I grew up that typical, uh, you know, you got your ass beat when you were being good. You got your ass beat when you were being bad. You just got your <laughs> ass beat all the time. It was like, <laughs> one of the best of home lives. Um, so my first cigar experience would be literally, it uh, sounds like an SNL thing, but down by a river, smoking Swisher Sweets with some, uh, uh, what beer was that? It was a Lone Star that we nicked. We stole some Lone Star from a local <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm we're glad you weren't with kids. like a homeless guy doing it. Yeah, I mean, that's what we were. Um, <laughs> and then, I'll steal uh, some beer I mean, for you. 
I enlisted in the Navy uh, when I was 17 to just get out. And, of course, my, my mom was just happy to sign the papers, like, get rid of this guy. And uh, I enlisted and uh, started smoking cigars when I was in the service. Probably handmade cigars. Probably my first experience was uh, probably when I was around 19 years old. And um, and I kind of got into it, and I was smoking a lot of really shitty cigars because that's all I could afford. Because back then you didn't get paid squat in the Navy. I, I made like eight hundred bucks a month. Um, and I had a operations officer, Walter S. Laird. And he just took pity on me, and one day he just invited me into his stateroom and gave me like 10, 12 cigars, you know, Macanudo and Monte Cristo and H. Upman, and he's like, "Hey, Saka, start start trying these. That crap you're smoking is terrible." And that kind of just one thing led to another. And uh, I was really into cigars. And then I got really blessed. I uh, got out of the service. I started a control engineering company. Um, I flipped that company like four years later, which gave me some uh, cash. And then I just started going to town. I'm like, oh, wow, I felt rich. You know, your perception of rich is, again, you know, based on your perception of it. But I was rich. And uh, I started going to the Dominican and Honduras and Nicaragua on my own dime and visiting factories and worked in this factory for a month for free and worked over here for six weeks for free and went to a farm and played farmhand for a couple months. And, you know, and uh, it just kind of rolled from there. And all those places, they were just like cool with letting you come by and they, they had no problem with you helping out. Here's the thing. It's not like today where we're also interconnected. We know there's like other crazy cigar people. Back then, I was like this weird freak of nature, thing, right? <laughs> I and mean, it's like nobody, I had no idea that there were other people that literally had thousands of cigars in their collection. They cared about who made it. They cared about the tobacco. They cared about all these things. So imagine you're some white dude that just shows up and go for a Dia Honduras and knocks on a gate and say, hey, I love your cigars. Could I come in and take a look? Okay. Uh, these makers, this is prior to their being Cigar Aficionado magazine. They were just like stunned. Like, first off, what's this white dude doing here? Secondly, <laughs> barely no Spanish except he take a piss and order an enchilada. Um, and uh, he's interested. So they were so welcoming because it's like anything that you do for a living, you like to share it, right? If you got somebody that's like really into what you're doing, you just love to share it. So that's how I got to know everybody because I was just such an eager beaver, you know, and, uh, and that's kind of how it all began, having some free time and some free cash because I sold the other thing because I didn't take a paying gig from 93 to 99. I just played Uber Cigar Geek for six years and did Cub Scouts and, you know, Pee Wee Football and all of those things. Well, I guess it wasn't called. What was it called? What was it called Pee Pop Warner. Pop Warner. Thank you. Got um, you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I was doing all those dad things and family things, but uh, I was also sprinkling in all my cigar crap. And, you know, so that, that's how I got started. And look, most people aren't afforded that kind of experience. Look, my first job in the business, you know, most people work their way from the bottom up. I've been working my way from the top down from day, since day one. I mean, my first gig was exactly jr cigar yeah and then my next gig was president at drew estate and now i'm basically the owner and head bottle washer at dunbarton tobacco and trust <laughs> I, mean, I have a really crap <laughs> haircut. 
if you want to look at it from that perspective. But it's the path I chose, and it's it's been a good experience. Do you think um, you would have done anything different in your career if you could have? Like, if you got to pick any part where yeah, you could take a different direction? I have done is I should have left Drew a little earlier. Started um, your own a little earlier? Yeah, I should have left earlier. Um, look, it was a great experience for me, and I'm really proud of what we accomplished as a team there. But at the same time, I think I was a little – I don't have the vim and vigor that I had as a young man. So saying that you're going to start a small business and bootstrap it at the age of 50 – um yeah I, I don't know that i would recommend it um it's uh it's a uh, it's 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 been a it's been a really uh it's been a very hard eight years of work you know and uh, and it's kind of and it's what my wife she's kind of like why are we doing this again what's the purpose of it you know so i mean her her thing is can we just like she's not even like interested in selling it she's like just can we just close it down and can we just go on to the the beach and the colada phase of life you know there you what I go mean? yeah i mean so i mean i think that's the only thing i i don't think that at 50 you know how it is you always overestimate yourself sure yeah right you always think we're you men can do more than you can do right we're men uh, that's what we do and, and uh, life's been giving me a good lesson as to what it is to be uh how old am I? 57, 58, or 58? Yeah, I'm 58. So, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I am not as smart as I used to be. Well, no, I'm wiser, but I'm not as sharp as I used to be. And I certainly don't have the energy that I used to have. But yet, I seem to be managing to run circles around a lot of these idiots. So, um, so that just tells you how much the way it works in life. You don't have to be – you just have to be better than the other people, right? The fact that other people suck makes the bar much easier for you to hurdle over. <laughs> well, it's right? just like when you're being uh, chased by a bear with two of your friends. You just got to out – you don't have to outrun the bear. You just got to outrun your two friends. That's exactly. It. Same yeah. thing. So, we're on show. Thanks, man. <laughs> just leave us to die out I there. might be the slowest one. I don't know. <laughs> Who is the slowest? I can put money on that. Just looking at the camera. <laughs> well, first off, you'd say Geo, but he's a cop, and the other guy's working at his desk all day in his house. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably a dead man. <laughs> there you I go, do, man. I do work out at the gym, though. I mean, I'm not uh, as uh, in shape right. as I used to be, but you know, I could still <laughs> do the mile and a half in a decent time. Uh, uh, then I'm the dead dude because I'm going like 22 <laughs> yards, right? and then I'm just wheezing like a collapsed balloon. <laughs> So to touch on family life a little bit, does your wife play a big hand in the company? Huge. Huge? Yeah, yeah my wife is uh, my wife is integral to the company. Um, she pretty much handles everything on the U.S. side. She handles all of the accounts. She handles all the warehouse, all of that stuff. Look, I, I stick my nose in where it needs to be stuck in. Um, you know, I make all the major decisions. But the general day-to-day -day operation... I'm very hands off on all of that. I don't, uh, I do not get involved. Um, I, I let, I let them do it. Look, they're doing a great job. So all I'm going to do is just screw up something that's working. 
So it's, you know, it's one, again, it's part of being 58. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. I, I know, I know where I need to put my two cents in and I know where I need to just, you know, take a step back and let the crew do what the crew does, you know, and, uh, and I'm lucky, you know, we have a very small crew. I mean, we, it's amazing what we accomplish with so few people. I mean, we, we accomplish stuff that companies literally four times our size, five times our size don't accomplish. Um, and uh, it's just, but look, everybody is really, we have really good people. There's no, there's no dead weight. There's no hanger on. There's nobody just grabbing a paycheck and coasting. There's, there's no room to coast at Dunbar. And, uh, but the flip side of that is they get paid more than industry standard. They get really healthy bonuses at the end of the year. You know, I mean, when people learn the bonus numbers that I give my employees, like, are you kidding me? You give them that much? They earned it. You know, they, they, they ground, they grind for it. So, yeah, why wouldn't I? And uh, so and that's nice because, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I bet if we asked them, look, we could easily have four more bodies. But I bet if we, like, pulled them and said, hey, we can hire four more people, but that means you're going to get this as your bonus at the end of the year, they would all say no. Fuck those people. You know? <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's uh and I like that. I like I like I like people that are that are willing to work. Well, hey man, if people have incentives to do things and work harder, people will work harder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we had a coworker even with the same thing before he was on, you know, the job with us. He worked for like an appliance company and they paid him they were like, We pay you more than anyone in the area to deliver. You will be on time. You will not be late. And if you are, we'll fire you because we will find someone that will do it. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's very just like you're compensated beyond what any other people are. So they, your performance is expected. Sure. And look, as long as you're clear with people and they understand the gig, it's fine. And look, ultimately, when it comes to all employee employer relationships, it's always a matter of just general respect, right? Because we all, as individuals, we just want to be respected. So what that means is I have to hire people that I can respect. Because if I don't respect you, you're going to know it pretty quick. Um, I'm not. I'm not very. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a very good with a feather tongue. So, but they they all understand that, you know. And that's just kind of the way it works. But we we have a really tight knit team. And Cindy runs uh, pretty much all the U.S. side of it. And then I handle the tobacco and the cigars and the branding and the bullshit podcast interviews and all of that. Kind of <laughs> Whoa, thing. hold hey, up, hey, man. Hey, 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 hey. We're, we're, we're fucking, there's a line, man. You don't fucking cross that line. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, bullshit podcast, uh, Steve, what made you uh, interested in sponsoring the show? You know, your boy, Mike, there. <laughs> He didn't mob force you, did he? Yeah, dude, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like looking at the number. I'm like, this is really expensive. He's like, no, 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 no. All right. Look, it's a general – I have this general – I don't know that there's any real value in it from an advertising perspective. I don't think it motivates a consumer to buy one product over another product. I think we as consumers – um, I'm on the cusp of it. You guys are definitely there. You basically are advertised to 24 seven, right? 
I, I don't think advertising works the way it used to work. But here's what I do know. I know what our industry was like when there was one primary media source that was the bullhorn for everything. And they just, they defined the market, right? So you basically, you had to kiss the ring or you were just basically screwed. So for me, an environment that has many players, many people generating content, many different discussions, it kind of democratizes the information and it makes it where there is no one, this is the kingmaker, this is the person. And I like that. You know what I mean? So it's one of the reasons why I support so many small podcasters and blogs and all of that is because of that general sense of, hey, it democratizes the information. It doesn't allow anyone to become the arbiter of everything. And also it's good for the community. I mean, look, if you're into cigars, it gives you places to go to learn about cigars from a whole bunch of different perspectives. So, and anything that's good for the cigar community is ultimately good for a cigar maker like myself, because I tend to make products that are meant for those people more than I make them for the guy that just goes in, looks at all the boxes, he picks up whatever, you know what I mean? I mean, my customers a little bit more discerning. They're they're more experienced, and as a result, these type of channels are good. And then a fourth thing on top of that, it's also just a general trend in how we as consumers get our information. Um, I'm an old dude, and I don't open a magazine anymore, right? So if I'm not opening a magazine, what's the 32, 34 year old guy doing? Right. Is he is he is he is he reading these magazines? No, he's on his phone. He's looking for something. He's hitting the the YouTube channel, even if he's just listening to the audio while he's driving his truck wherever. So understanding how the trend and how consumers get information, these type of things, even though they hit much smaller audiences in the long run, I think is a better approach than the other. But that's a personal opinion, you know, so. I, I could be wrong. And in the end, when you add it all up, one fancy ad in a fancy magazine, you can literally support 10, 12 little independent media sites for that same cost. Sure. Yeah. So I, I, so I, I, I like the ecosphere of the noise. I, I think it benefits me. I think it benefits the consumer. I think it benefits everybody. And I think it's where we're all heading in the long run sure i i can't tell you the last time i sat down and read a magazine i'll be honest with you any any um any cigar news i ever need i have my sources you know none of them are in a magazine i can tell you that right now yeah all online instagram facebook you could just uh, on your phone like you said it's all it's all there in your hand social media is so powerful right now um you know that's the area that i'm weak i mean i'm good i'm good on facebook but facebook's for us old dudes um, I'm really weak on Instagram. You're definitely good on Facebook. I see all the posts because I do the down to her Facebook. I, I see you guys. You're like every day, two, three posts a day from your own personal, yeah, no, from the company. I you're mean, good. You, you could tell when I'm really active on Facebook. It's because I'm at my desk and I'm bored and I just don't <laughs> want to do these production. <laughs> calculations. So true. Um, yeah. um, but I mean, I think the thing that I can do on Facebook is I can generate content that actually has some work. 
Where for me, Instagram is more, here's a pretty picture, here's a little blurb, and you move to the next thing, which is probably better for uh, the current crop of consumers. So that's an area I, I need to move into. Uh, we just actually hired someone not to do social media, but she's going to start using the Dunbarton page to post a few more photos. Yeah, if we if we if we tag if we got to keep tagging you in Dunbarton shit and it doesn't get reposted or anything. Yeah. Fuck, man. <laughs> I know. You got to get that girl on it. Well, here's the that thing, should be though, her job, Instagram. In, in an average day I get like 500 notes. Oh, oh I, I, I can't even imagine. It's just it's crazy. Look, and, and that's and that's great because look, I can tell you the cigars are good. What else am I going to say? Every manufacturer, every brand owner is going to tell you their cigars are extra special. They're the best ever. It's the mm -hmm. same spiel, right? And so what has far greater value is when you have the consumer that has no economic skin in the game. That person actually spent their money to buy it. And they're the ones posting the picture. They're the ones saying this is worth trying. This is something I enjoyed. It's way more value than anything I could possibly write. Because, of course, I'm biased as a mother. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. I mean, I, you should expect me to be biased. I expect Nick Perdomo to say he makes the best cigars in the world. I expect Carlito Fuente to say I make the best cigars in the world. I expect Rocky Patel to say I make the best cigars in the world. It should be the – it's just the way it is. So it has so much more weight and merit when that consumer that has no skin in the game does it uh, that's really, that's, and look, it has a lot to do with how we've grown. Um, cause again, I don't think sponsoring all these little things actually makes the difference. Now, one way it makes a little bit of a difference, to be honest with you is maybe you get a little bit of deference. Um, maybe they don't slam you as hard. Um, maybe you get some of that. I mean, it's hard to say that you don't get some sort of benefit out of it, but I don't think it translates to the traditional here I advertise and this generates sales. I don't think that link works anymore unless you are using social media and you're doing like uh, I get a billion ads for shoes, sneakers, and I get a billion ads for watch stuff, right? That's a direct connection that you yeah. get. You know where I think social media can help, especially like little things like this, right? Um. If you gather and gain a following and people enjoy your show and you consistently post certain stuff, mm -hmm. people that listen to your stuff will say, you know what? They post that all the time. I've seen that before. That's that's the one I want to grab. Yeah. And that is strong. beneficial. Because in the end, like no matter what you make, it's not going to satisfy everybody. Sure. Yeah. So what you're hoping is you're hoping to convince a consumer to try something <clears throat> to discover whether they whether it's for them or not for them. Right. So because look, if you go to an average retail store, in order for like a particular brand or box to be on the shelf, they only need like really one, two hardcore guys that really love it for that spot to earn its shelf space. You know what sure. I mean? It doesn't require an army. Oh, everyone's smoking this. No, if you're that shop and you got a guy that loves Popetta. And he comes and he buys a box of Popetta every single month, like clockwork. Guarantee you, Popetta is going to be on a shelf. Sure. Because 70% of the stuff that's on the shelves, that shit don't sell. Yeah. It's just they're collecting dust. And any retail shop, most retail shops, 
70, 75 percent of the inventory is like non-turning dead weight shelf filler. It's only like 25, 30 percent of the shop that's actually making the money for the store. Yeah. I mean, well, as far as your products go, I've told this story on the show before. So my first cigar is actually a cigar that uh, you guys made. It was uh, the Now Leave Me the Hell Alone. I happened to be with this guy at a cigar shop. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, this is I'm like, all right, whatever. You smoked a dozen of these. We got some free time. I'm going to smoke this today. They look cool in the coffin. And they're like, really? You're going to get that for your first? I was like, yeah, whatever. And that was it. And it was, had me sold. It was a love story from there on. Now the fucking entire police department fucking smokes cigars every single day. <laughs> It's the way it works, man. Our boss fucking, his favorite cigar is the Sin Compromiso. Um, he fucking chain smokes those things. Again, we got it like that. You can chain smoke the Sin Compromiso. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's always, I want all the cigars to be chain smoked. <clears throat> so I told this story before, but one in my early days, one of the factories I went to visit was Villazon. I mentioned Cofredia Honduras earlier. That's where it was located. One of my favorite brands were Hoya de Monterey and Punches, but long before STG or Gerald bought them out, they were an independent called Hatza Villazon, um, and they were owner was Frank Yanesa, uh, the general manager. The two of them were both master cigar makers. They had this factory, and I spent uh, I spent a few weeks shadowing Estello, you know, just you know picking his brain, being a sponge. And at one point, he just kind of stops. Saka, saka, saka. The most important thing you need to know about cigars is this. And he like pounds his chest like that. And of course, I'm young and naive and a geek. So what do I say? Passion, heart, right? That's what I say. It's fuck that. No. <laughs> what you want is you want when the guy is smoking this cigar, that he checks his pocket to see if he has another. That's how you know it's a good cigar. You want a cigar to be satisfying as you're smoking it and fulfilling but you also want it to leave you wanting a little bit more. Another potato chip from the bag. So if you look at like literally almost all of my blends, none of them are like super over-the-top powerhouses. Even my super strong cigars, they're they're tempered a bit. You know what I mean? They're they're not the type of cigar that wipes you out. Can be full-bodied without being a, a pepper bomb nicotine explosion. You know, because I like that sense. And that has a lot to do with how I smoke. I smoke 10 cigars a day. So I kind of have to do runner, 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 runner. You know what I mean? I, you know, occasionally I'll reach for like one of Skip's Neanderthals or I'll reach for one of Lito's double arrow chisels. But after I smoke one of the cigars, I feel like, okay, I need a break. So that's actually, in my opinion, uh, the Neanderthal every time I smoke that cigar. It's one of my favorites, actually. Um, that fucking thing is an absolute power bomb. It is. There's no doubt about it. But you can't imagine yourself smoking eight Neanderthal. No fucking way. Not a fucking (laughs) chance. Yeah. Not a fucking chance. Two. Two is he's comatose. Yeah. I'm I'm melted into a chair and I'm a half bottle of bourbon in, and I'm fucking. I'm gonna die. The other thing I know is like when you get really into cigars, you go through this like weird curve of like you start off mild, you go medium, you get strong, and then you get to a point where you want everything to be like uber octane, right? You get in this like really super pepper sharp, like it's got to be so strong that it makes my eyes tear kind of phase. But after a few years, almost universally, that consumer just dips back a little bit. 
goes a little bit lighter, dials down the power at touch because the problem with the super uber power ones is you don't get the flavors, you don't get the complexities, you don't get the nuances, you don't get the balance. So a lot of experienced, really experienced people, they actually kind of go down just a touch and they drift down and that's where they end up settling in. And so, again, I'm thinking about that person, you know, because those are the people that when they get to be 55, 60 years old, they're the ones that go into the stores that give me my box of Padron 1926 number ones. Yeah, I know it's $18.2 billion for the box, but I don't care. (laughs) Hey, I like what I like. I get that. I like what I like. I've decided that this works for me. You know, that's where the real money is made. It's not made where I am right now. It's made when you become... Fuente. It's made when you become Padron. It's made when you get to this point that you have this stable um, base of consumers that you're part of their daily rotation all of the time. So that, that's where the jack is made. So there is uh, there's like one particular uh, brand that you guys have. I love anything that you do in the red meat lovers, and that's one that always gets me coming back for more. Like I first had one given to me on the golf course, and I was like, this is one hell of a cigar it smells and tastes like like burnt meat off the grill <laughs> right away and i'm like this it's got me hooked it's like it was a nice hot day on the golf on the golf course I'm like this is awesome i had another buddy give me one and then before we did uh one of them on the show i was like dude anytime i get these i love them and then i got my brother hooked on them because he was like i want to try that and i was like dude it's gonna taste like you're grilling meats smelling taste and it's awesome I don't know. Do you really think it does, or does the whole name that it's the fucking name, Steve? It's the name. I don't think it's It's absolutely the fucking name. I think Caleb is fuck a fucking crackhead. No, it does not fucking taste like smoked meat. I'm not being a suck up. I'm not being a crackhead. It's not being a suck up. It's just you're letting the name play into the flavors. No, you can tell when you light. Perception, experience is all intertwined, right? I wasn't even around meats that day. We also have the name. Where none of us taste things the same, mm-hmm. right? We always have our own perception. Like one of the biggest hurdles for me is trying to describe strength to consumers because strength is just such a difficult thing to describe to somebody. Because for one person, you know, str- so what one thing's the same cigar is too mild and too strong, <laughs> right? It just depends on who the smoker is and how they perceive strength. Some people perceive strength by just the pepper hit. How sharp is it? Does it make my throat scratchy? Do I feel the burn? Some people perceive it by nicotine. Other people perceive it by the boldness of the flavors. So it's yeah. really, it's a really hard thing to like s- describe. But I will say when we made when I made red meat lovers, I did make it pairing it with meat. That was that, w- that was the thing to to make a blend that I thought would really do well. But also take it down a little bit of a notch because. Red Meat Lovers was made for the Red Meat Lovers charity events originally. Was that Smoke In? Well, not Smoke In. It was Red Meat Lovers first, and it happened to be that Smoke In Mm -hmm. was contact to start doing them. Mm -hmm. It was never meant to be what it was meant. It started off as like 300 cigars for a dinner, right? And I knew that at this dinner, 30 of these guys are going to be hardcore cigar smokers. And the other 270 are going to be the, hey, I'm on the golf course. It's poker night. Hey, I smoked a cigar on a Saturday, right? So it was also trying to think about, hey, how am I going to make those people happy, but also satisfy the people that are the hardcore dark cigar smokers? So 
Red Meat Lovers kind of fits in this kind of Goldilocks zone blend-wise. So it, it doesn't surprise me that it's really popular um, currently. I mean, ask me in two years, but right now it's stupid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it came out at a good time too, the, the last quarter of the year over here. And like I said, I had a couple ones on the golf course. I don't know what it was. It must have just been that perfect day. I got the perfect sizzle on the cigar, just the light, the smell. It was all there. But um, an, another... Yeah. I think he broke a hundred that day too, so that was a huge day for Caleb. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not at all. So obviously, twenty twenty three, we can kind of go through a little list of the cigars you guys released. You guys did Papasaka, which I mean, on the consensus, just mm-hmm. absolutely crushed. Um, honestly, that's one thing I regret on the show. Last year, we did not review the Papasaka. We instead did the Red Meat Lovers because Caleb wanted to do that one. Um, right. That, and we did the Krakatoa. Yeah, but that was one cigar. Yeah. The thing that sucked about not doing Papasaka was I smoked. Oh, I know. They were great. They were great. And this, I mean, I've probably had about 14, 15 of these things. I have a half box laying around right now. Um, yeah, we should have reviewed that one. That was a cigar that I yeah. wish we would have did on the show. We review everything, though. There's so many damn cigars. Well, we get 52 shows that we do, and then we kind of just take those 52 cigars, and then yeah, that's yeah, how we come up with our list. Things. I would take half your show. You can't do that to your viewers. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean... Well, the Krakatoa made our number six on our top ten list. So Yeah, that, that cigar was awesome. Perfect size, too. So, yeah, let's see. We did Papa Saka, Saka Khan... Uh, both of the unicorns you released, uh, Wagashi with Cigar Dojo, um, Red Meat Lovers in the Krakatoa. four different sizes, Krakatoa. That was quite the fucking year, man. Yeah, it was a good year. Quite the year. And our sales luckily reflected it too, so it wasn't just a good year for the hype buzz factor. It was a good year for the bank account. In what seemed to be kind <laughs> of a down year for the industry. It was a down year. Yeah. Yeah, anybody that tells you different, they're so i i kind of i kind of feel like in that trend a lot of companies did see decrease in sales because i think the previous year would i mean the industry probably did record numbers 21 22 were just just stupid absurd the only reason i smoke cigars is because of covid there was nothing to fucking do i was sitting on my back deck it was nice outside i was like i'm gonna go to my local brick and mortar and i'm gonna sit outside wide but things started slowing down the summer of 22 really um, for the industry, it really picked up about midway through twenty. Went like just uh, just bats out of hell. The end of twenty twenty one, and then into the beginning of twenty two. But by the time we got to the mid part of twenty two, things started to slow up. Um, it was still a banner year twenty two, but twenty three was a tough one. I think as an industry, we're probably down somewhere between ten to fifteen points. Now it just happened that we were really lucky. Because our little company was in this little hockey stick moment, right? So instead of growing 40 points a year last year, we grew like 30 points. You know what I mean? So we were able to kind of work our way. We were in a great place, the right moment, the right time, the right kind of exposure, just everything for us. So we had a fantastic year last year. Um, I don't think this year will be as good. Uh, look, things are still really sluggish. And the thing that you guys don't see that, you know, all the retailers see is you can really tell the health of sales by the deals and the discounts that the manufacturers and the brand owners are putting on the streets. And they started getting really juicy at the end of 2022 and they got stupid in 2023. And right now they're just on fire. 
I mean, and, and look at you as consumers. Look at the things you get emailed from the big box guys. That's true. I mean, these, are, these prices are crazy. I'm seeing, and it's funny you mentioned this because I, I never really put the two and two together. But you're not wrong. I mean, I'm seeing, I get emails from some little companies, 30% off. All and you're time. like, 30%? Holy that's, fuck, man. That's the public. What you're not seeing is the behind the scenes that deal with the big box guys. They're like literally getting stuff that's 50 and 60% off yeah. out of the manufacturer's brand owners. And even if the manufacturer brand owner is losing money, they so desperately need the cash that they just look at what they've spent on this inventory is already a sunk cost. And we just need the money. Um, you know, for us, again, we're lucky we haven't had to do that because we don't give any deals or discounts. We're kind of notoriously bad at it. And, um, and we, but I'm not like, I don't want to make a sale if it doesn't make sense. I don't care what the top line number is. I have no shareholders. I got no bank debt. I got no investors. I got nobody to make happy but me. Okay. So for me, I'd rather just not fucking make it. Okay. Uh, why, why am I going to go through all of this? And the thing is, when you start getting into that mode, it's very hard. You can't keep the quality up. You just can't because costs are up. Everywhere. Costs are yeah. Up. yeah. I mean, but it is kind of silly. You see, everyone's going to look, I'm going to do a price increase in March. Um, you see, almost everyone's doing price increases, but they're doing a price increase. But then at the same time, they're offering 30% on the back door. It's like, it doesn't even make any sense to me. It's like, well, we were already having to give 30, so we need the pricing. You know what I mean? It's a, The whole thing has become such a shell, sham kind of game where it just there's just no truth in pricing anymore. Yeah. It's not a very simple, this is what it costs to make. This is the profit you need as a company. So, therefore, this is the price <clears> that it needs to sell at. And it either sells or it doesn't sell. And if it doesn't sell, then you just don't make it. That's all there is to it. I mean... But no, the, the deals are just stupid, which as a consumer, you have a brand that you love, Oliva V, for example. Yeah, scarf that stuff up, man. Load up on it. You know, why not? I mean, the prices are just, they're so stupid good. It's hard. Now, does that affect a company like me? Yeah, a little, but those consumers really probably aren't my guys anyways. Yeah. You know what I mean? The guys that are smoking CAO flatheads are probably not the same as the guys that are smoking Dunbarton Tobacco Trust. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a flathead. I'm not saying that there's consumers that don't smoke Dunbarton and flatheads. But if you start putting people in boxes, this is one kind of group and this is another kind of group, which is a little bit of crossover, but it's really a different consumer. Yeah. I mean, I think that just comes down to knowing your customer base and your product. Like you've built enough value behind it where like this is the price and with other things like that, like you don't see, for example, a high end fashion brand, like a Louis Vuitton. Oh, things are down. We're just going to make 30% off this bag. No, it's still going to be the same price, whether, you know, economy's down, economy's up, business is good. Business is bad. Let's add a hundred dollars to that purse. And people are still going to buy it. 100%. Thanks, Biden. But they're only going to buy it if they feel there's value in it, right? Right. So, I mean, no matter what a price of something is, 
price is irrelevant from the perspective of consumers have a wallet. They have an idea as to how much they want to spend. They know what they feel is the right number for them. But the one universal truth, whether you're spending $6 for a cigar or you're spending $30 for a cigar is after you make your purchase and you smoke it, you feel like, hey, I got my money's worth. So you always have to keep in mind, does the value equation to the consumer, do they feel satisfied with their purchase? You can't just take something and make it $100 because you can make it $100 and people will buy it. You have to, you have to always keep that in mind. So like when I look at most of my product mix, I'm pretty much up there with the Ligas and the Opus and the Padron on a lot of stuff. On a lot of stuff, I'm just a couple bucks higher, you know, like on Mi Ritas and like, you know, a brulee compared to a lot of other Connecticut shades in the market, it's a couple dollars higher. So the question is, does a consumer say, hey, spending $2 more on a Sober Mesa brulee versus an Ashton Cabinet Connecticut do uh, not just an Ashen Classic, not a cabinet, because a cabinet's up higher than a brulee, I think. Um, do they feel as though they got the extra two dollars? Are they are they happy spending two dollars more to get this instead of that? And that's the universal question that we all ask ourselves as consumers with everything we buy. Oh, I mean, hey, judging by uh, the lack of sober maces I see on the shelves when they come in, they're gone pretty quickly. I think you got your answer. That's true. I mean, a lot of these stores, man, you see, they they get their shit in and then you fucking go and grab it a month later and it's gone. I was at one store and they only had one Sober Mesa brulee left. Just one. Just gone. They only have one left because they're not reordering because the other thing that you guys don't understand is these guys are broke, man. They Most of these retailers are so bad at managing their inventory and cash flow and they have so much dead product. And they buy all this stuff because they get this sexy discount that they, in their heads, think they're going to make mint on. And they don't understand the concept of terms. They don't understand inventory management. They don't understand cash flow. They really, it's, it's, it's sadly for the consumer and then also for the retailer, uh, for the manufacturer and the consumer, the retail component of this is the weakest link in our, link in our industry. And that's the reason why you see so many more of the online guys, the smoke ins and the Coronas and the cigars daily and the small batches of the world and the Neptunes, you know, they're uh, look, all of them are also brick and mortar operators, but they also do the other side of it too. And you see the tremendous growth in their businesses, you know, because they're just, they're more on top. They yeah. pay more attention. They're better focused. They really look at what's going on. And that drives a lot of Dunbar and consumers to then become shoppers at those places. Now, luckily for my brick and mortar only guys, I've managed to keep my online retailers in the price where they're supposed to be. Mm. But part of the reason why they stay in the price they're supposed to be is because it sells really well and they make good profit on it. And I don't ask them to make it rain. So like everything that we sell, everybody is just organically what they really need, what they can flow with. We don't ever go and say, hey, Mr. CI, I really would like a $200,000 purchase order. Here's what I can offer you. What can you do? And we don't, we don't do that at all. We do none of that whatsoever. Uh, and, um, and as a result, it keeps their inventory manageable. It, keeps the, it, it makes it where we, tr- we try to not glut the market out. We don't intentionally limit. But at the same time, we don't intentionally oversell. Because salesmen want to sell. That's what they do. 
right? Yeah. That's the way they think about things. But that isn't necessarily what's in the best interest of the retailer. And it isn't necessarily what's in the best interest of the consumer. And it isn't necessarily what's in the best interest of the manufacturer. And so you got to you got to be willing to leave some money on the table and not jump at everything. Do you and think do you think that those box stores you know have yeah. a lot of success because of state taxes and yeah, where they're yeah. located? Absolutely. That makes a big difference. They have success because they don't have the tax. Mm-hmm. They have success because they carry a wider range of product. So you as a consumer have better availability to what you want and you can get they, more of it. Right? They succeed because we as a culture have all become one-click purchasers. Look, dude, I'm I'm on the shitter. I'm running out of toilet paper. I'm Amazon.com, and I'm clicking. Oh yeah, I need another thing of toilet paper, and it gets delivered to my door. Don't forget the shampoo and the deodorant. You didn't know you needed yeah. either. A drone can exactly. drop it off to you. Yeah, fuck. So, and as consumers get more used to purchasing <clears throat> things like that, once you get into the convenience of it, it's very hard to get them to go back. And then what you now have is look. The online big box, like when I was in the business at JR Cigar, it was price, price, price. You know, fast, cheap, fast, cheap, fresh. That was like the sad line, right? Those things are not really the fast part still applies, but there's now a whole consumer group that isn't looking for cheap. They're just looking for what they want. They want this bourbon. They want this wine. They want this cigar. You know what I mean? So you now have a, a much more educated consumer, okay, that's now buying this way because this is the way they have always bought. This is the way they always will buy. So to try to put that genie back in the bottle is just foolish. You know, you, you, you can't because that's human nature. We're, we're, if, I don't know when the last time I walked into a mall was. Well, that's why okay. they're all fucking closing. Because you don't fucking support them anymore, Steve. You're fucking letting them all die. I know. And the reality is, though, because I go to the mall and they don't have what I want. That's true. Yeah. Right? And uh, But if you click it and you go on Google, you could find it in 10 different stores. It'll be here at your door tomorrow. So what the fuck's the difference? Yeah, Convenience so is everything, man. But at the same time, there is a way for the brick and mortar guy to operate without being going head to head with the big box guys. Um, and you see these operators who create a sense of community. They also give uh, an extra level of uh, customer support. I mean, Ronnie at Secreto is a perfect example of that, right? You buy cigars from Ronnie, you are not getting a deal on my product, right? You're often paying like full boat, okay, is what he intends to do. But he's giving you that one-on-one touch. He's giving you that relationship. He's giving you the fact that you can call him and email him and annoy him. He's, he's doing that kind of in-the-trenches customer service. So there is a way for that traditional brick and mortar to actually be competitive in the segment, but it means they have to work. You can't just sit in your store and smoke cigars and bitch about online prices, okay? And you can't put the same cigars on your shelf that all the online guys have at 40 and 50% off. You know what I mean? Uh, I was in a a retailer a couple years ago, and... He was going on and on about Cigars International and the price and blah, 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 blah. He said, boom, 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 boom. It wasn't about my price because my price right there, but it was just in general. And he's like, he also he just kind of stops. He goes, Saka, are you even listening to me? I said, fuck, I'm not listening to you. Why would I listen to you? I'm sitting here while you're carping and bitching, and I'm staring at a shelf. And at eye level, you have the entire spread of diesel. 
That's a CI brand. And you've given it the premier position in your store at the best shelf level. And you're telling me they're the evil empire. Okay. But at the same time, you're supporting them right here in the best spot in your store. So they talk out both sides of their mouths. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's not, mm-hmm. no, that's not true of all of them, but that's true of a lot of them. So no, I don't, I don't give them any, I don't give them any cotton on this. I just call the balls and the strikes and they don't like it when you tell them the truth. Nobody likes the truth sometimes, but that is the truth. Some people need it though. I got a question for you, Steve, uh, kind of random kind of doesn't fit what we're talking about, but, uh, where did the uh, the Saka squash come from and like the Sasquatch? Uh, we were wondering about that. It's kind of an interesting question. I, I would also yeah. like to know that. So where it came from is when I worked at JR, I was unwilling to move to New Jersey because they have crazy gun laws there in Texas. <laughs> and Jersey so, sucks. Right. So I kept my residency in New Hampshire. So I lived in New Hampshire. So whenever I would go to the corporate office, I would go down like on a Monday and drive back on a Friday. And I can't drive without smoking. It's like a seatbelt for me, right? I just can't. And one day I got in the truck. I started heading north. And uh, I realized I forgot cigars on the desk. So I had only the cigar I was smoking at the moment. So I kind of like did a quick search for cigar stores. I pulled off. I went to a local cigar store. And I walked in. And the retailer just kind of looked up. And he goes, oh, my God. Steve Sock is in my cigar store. It's like seeing a Sasquatch. And... <laughs> So I just sat down and I hung out and I smoked a Robusto and then I went on my merry bought like five, six cigars and I went on my merry way and I started to make it a habit. A couple times a month when I was heading north, I would always stop at his shop and sit with his regular Friday afternoon guys and smoke a cigar. And they just started calling me Saka Squatch and that's where the nickname came from. I like it. <laughs> Not the story I would have expected, but... Well, I, now I got to ask, do you think like Sasquatch is that real? Do they exist? Or is it just Absolutely. like, uh, Absolutely. <laughs> got to get this guy on the fucking after her show, man. You guys yeah. can, uh, you can hang out with Q and on Caleb and talk about fucking shit that isn't real. <laughs> well, yeah, we, so we do, so we do an after her show on Patreon and, uh, we always do a conspiracy of the week and, uh, okay. we, we've talked about is Sasquatch real? Is it fake? Is it a guy in a suit or are they like an alien subversive uh, species that you know only certain people see. You see what I fucking deal with, Steve. This is this is our guy. Unfortunately, this guy's my best friend. This is the shit he talks about. I got a tinfoil hat up there too. I have a lot of faith in a lot of things I can't quantitate or prove. So why not Sasquatches? What yeah. the hell? All right, I mean, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, I it's just I, I would eventually like someone to kill one. That okay, would be dope, drag it out of the woods. That would be nice. Some taxidermist would fucking love that. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, but I think there's a lot of things. I know we think we've seen everything, but I mean, every time you see these crazy deep sea photos, you know, from the submersibles, they discover all sorts of new Fishing types of shit. life that we've never, ever seen. Those are the you real aliens I mean? down there. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, do, I, do I think they exist? I, I'm going to believe they exist until somebody can tell me, until someone can prove they not. See? I'm not the only one. Yeah. So, so you talked on gun laws, pro or against? Um, you know, I, it's kind of funny. I've, you know, I've been a concealed carrier for many, many years. Okay. Um, I've always been into hunting and shooting. Um, I'm kind of in the middle on this. Um, I would. I'm not to the point 
that I'm worried about having to register because I keep track of it all now anyways. Like we've been filling out these FBI forms for years, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this concept that they don't know who has what is kind of nonsense. Um, I'm, I, I think that the whole gun show loophole part, I think that that's a problem. I, I like whenever I sell a handgun to somebody or a, a long arm, I always make them give me their driver's license. I always write everything down. I do a photocopy and I put it in the safe so I can track that. Now that's what I used to do 20 years ago. Now it's different. I won't transfer anything without a, without a, without a license. I say, okay, I'm going to pay the fee, but we're going to go down to shooters outpost. And this is how we're going to transfer this firearm between me and you. So that's what I now do. Okay. I didn't do that 20, 25 years ago. Um, I'm kind of of the viewpoint that, uh, I think it should be like a car. I think you should get a license where you have to show some basic understanding of the safety and the handling and the use of these. That would not bother me if there was something like that, you know. But you guys, you know, it's very seldom the legal gun owners that are the problems. It's almost always the illegal gun owners, right? They're, they're, they're the they're the they're the problems. So I, I, I can I think okay. I would like. I would like for people to be better educated. I, I agree. Yeah. Okay. I, I would like to say, and, and I'm going to go on the record here and say this. This might be an absurd number, but it's almost 100% of the time it's not the legal gun owners. Yeah, I could count on one hand the instances you, like, had a crime It, it is almost never. Hand. Yeah, it's, again, you... You, you, you know gun safety. It. You know that they're dangerous. Yeah. You know how to properly store them. You know how to take care of them. You're not out there gangbanging on the street. Yeah, you're not flashing it. You're not flexing Brandishing it. Brandishing it at fucking random yeah. citizens. No. You're not doing none of that. It's very... So... I, but if they had some sort of, like, license general that could, like, shortcut the whole... Because filling out that dumb form and making sure I write the initials the right place to check this this way... Yeah. They make us do that now. New York Even tough. as law enforcement, they just added that. Just bureaucracy with no point. New York's I mean, tough. If we, if we have global entry for me to be a, an international traveler, I think we could simplify this system that would make everybody happy. Like a TSA pre-check. That, that could be integrated into the gun shows where, okay, here you go. I'm an approved buyer. I'm this, I'm that. Now, granted, then they'll say, well, there's going to be people who are going to counterfeit and they're this, but these are the illegal people anyways, and they're going to keep buying illegally anyhow, right? So uh, there's... You are never going to, we're a gun culture. You're never going to get guns out of society. Sure. Not in America. No, not in America. America. The only, the only people you're going to truly take them away from are the people that legally bought them and treat them right. You're never going to get them out of the hands of like like an act, like a criminal. There will always be a black market. And I had an interesting conversation about this with someone about, you know, they didn't want their kids to be exposed. I said, that's the worst thing. You, yeah. you want your kids at a young age to be exposed. You want to teach them. You want to educate them. You want them to understand the safety and the responsibilities and how it's a, it's a tool, but it's a dangerous tool. And you got to demystify it. The more you demystify it and educate, the safer it is actually for, for young children, okay, teenagers. Because uh, it was always the case. Look, my boys grew up shooting and all of those things. It was always their nuts friends whose mothers were just anti, anti, anti. Yep. They were the ones that were just jonesing to play with, oh, that's so cool. Can I hold it? Can I this? Can I that? 
freaking out, start swinging it around like a crazy. Start thing. flagging everybody. Yeah, so I think this is, but that requires a reasonable conversation, and we don't have reasonable conversations anymore. Mm. I, I feel like I can speak for the three of us here, uh, you know, just fathers of young women. Uh, I can assure you, I can almost speak, I think that they will understand gun safety and understand how to use a firearm, understand that, you know, dad has weapons in the house, you know, dad's in law enforcement. It's important to know this stuff. You know, you don't want them to just find the, you know, the the key to the AR safe. And then next thing you know, they're fucking uh, going to school and doing some stupid ass shit. You know, you don't want that. You want them to know early in life how dangerous they can be. I grew up in I grew up in East Texas. Oh yeah! The point that I got my widow oh, yeah. scout. I had a knife in my pocket, so I'm 16 years old. And I'm in school, and like literally 85 percent of us had a knife in our pocket, right? Oh, still got one. Got a knife in my pocket. Okay, I feel naked without a knife. It's just a very handy tool to have readily available. You never know. We had to take our guns to school. You had to leave yeah. them in your truck. Yeah, people used to have the gun rack in the, in the truck after school. Or we would go deer hunting after school. Nobody shot anybody. There was no stabbings. We all had knives, but nobody was stabbing anybody. It was like a, so, something has gone wrong with society in a big, big way that we have gotten to this point that has become this way. I, and look, I can't. We could talk about this for hours <laughs> yeah. and hours. And I don't have the answer, but I know shit is different today than it was then. Sure. Okay. And and this and this is a problem that we as a society are going to have to wrestle with at some point. I, I don't know. It's, it's it's a very odd thing. And just so you guys are aware, my wife just texted me. Remind me, I got to go to this party, so I got about another fifteen minutes, and then I'm going to have to bounce. That'll work perfect for All us. Right. I got a question. We're going to do a little callback. I know how you said you're getting older, and you feel like maybe the beach retirement would be nice for you and your wife. But uh, no, yeah, I was going to oh, say his wife. wife said that, not him. All right. So I know you guys like we talked about all the awards you won. You got the Cigar Dojo. You got the person of the year. I think you almost got like brand of the year, too. You had a ton of top 10s, top 25s. Is it as you get older, do you think it's harder to reconcile maybe settling down and retiring with all the success you've seen last year? Um, Look, I think this year I'm not going to get all that because this year I have kind of a I don't have as a sexy product launches this year. I'm still so far behind the eight ball on last year's launches, you know, develop, you know, just doing the work that's necessary to get it out to all of our accounts. So I imagine 2024 will be the year of my demise. That's the way. I'm <laughs> no, no way. So <laughs> cynical. So cynical. I think, I think look at in just general cigar blogger media sphere. Probably so. Um, uh, you know, from a sales perspective, it's going to be a crazy bang on great year from us, you know, because just everything is cranking. Nicarita is selling great. Mm-hmm. Sober Mesa is selling great. Red Meat Lover is selling great. Popetta is selling great. Everything, we don't we don't really right now have any sort of like serious dogs. We got nothing that's like withering on the shelves. Um, so I, I think from commercially, I think it'll be a really good year. I think marketing award branding wise, I think it'll be a down year. That's what I'm anticipating. And then the other thing that's just this weird thing, election years are always rough in our industry. Oh yeah. Um, uh, people that even can afford stuff, they tend to dial back a little. 
because everybody's apprehensive, right? It almost doesn't matter who's elected, but the not knowing who's going to be elected just causes this weird psychosis in the general population. And so we have an economy. I don't know. Is the economy great? Is the economy awful? I, I, I can't figure it out. I know when I go to the grocery store, it's stupid. Gas. I know. I know that. Uh, I know. I, I know that. I know there's things that are bad, but there's also indicators that are good. And then I think too that this year, election year, I think it's going to be the most tumultuous election year that we've ever had. I think it's going to be as somebody in law enforcement, I I can say we'll be busy. I know who I want to win, and if they win, it's going to be very difficult in our our area. So I I mean, I don't know, man. It's like that double edged sword. Yeah. You're like, oh, life gets so much more difficult, but at the same time, you know, maybe the economy can heal a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, look, know. it's been, it's been, but look, this didn't take rocket science. Mm-hmm. I mean, the moment that you said we're going to shut down the global economy, okay, you knew there were going to be huge repercussions. Sure, yeah, no doubt. Particularly in a society, uh, an, an economic structure where we've become a very just-in-time culture, okay. You knew that all of these supply chain problems were going to happen. You knew that this inflation was going to get crazy and the combination of the interruption of the supply chains. And you also had the fact of just printing money like a madman, right, to fund all of this stuff. So you had two major things that, like, either one of them is enough to really put the pinch. Um, so this is kind of one of those things that for the moment – the shutdown started to happen. I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah. Okay, because it's just, you just you can't, and it makes it really, it made it really hard for businesses. You were in business, you weren't in business. You're allowed to operate. You're not allowed to operate. If you were allowed to operate, the businesses you needed supplies from weren't allowed to operate. It was it was messy, messy. Yeah. The only thing that kind of like gave us a little bit of a saving grace in all of it was the fact that. Luckily, a lot of the higher consumer base, you know, the first world countries, they a lot of people didn't lose their jobs and now they had more free money than they ever had and they had more time. So there's a lot of extra spending going on, which also helps to drive inflation, which compounds the problem. It's look, it's it was a sticky wicket. No matter I don't no matter what administration you were, it was going to be tough. Yeah, I mean. You we like I said we could talk about that stuff for hours at a time. I mean it's just and everyone's got an opinion, right or wrong, on it. And you know, who knows these days? Now I am curious though. You're talking about how you know you didn't have any like dogs. What's a project you thought was going to be, you know, the crazy seller? You were really happy with it, obviously, because you wouldn't put it out if you weren't. That you're just like, oh wow, that one didn't land. Um. No, I really don't have anything. Every everything has beaten expectations. The only thing that's a bit of a weakness is in the Stillwell Star line. The non aromatics are not nearly as popular as the aromatics, and I kind of always anticipated that, but I didn't realize how big a delta there was going to be. Um, I thought that there would be a, a bigger consumer market for like the English and for the Bayou. But the reality is consumers just prefer the aromatic style of the pipe blends over the traditional style of the pipe blends. Because so, they were using, like, Virginias and stuff in that, right? 
or like yeah. all kinds of stuff. Right. They're all different, right? And and I think that uh, when they when the brand launched, they all sold very equal. But I think it's because everyone was just sampling. It's like, well, you gotta have this one. You gotta have this one. You have this one. You have this one because they're all so different. And look, there are people that consider English their favorite or Bayou their favorite. But in the end, the aromatics are the hands down winner. So over the next couple three years, you'll see me transition. Like we're introducing a new aromatic this year. We're taking the holiday 2022 blend and we're making a permanent part of the core line, right? So I didn't really think that the aromatics were going to so outpace the other ones, but look, that's the way it works. In the end, the consumer's right. And there's nothing I can do about it. So look, Bayou's my favorite, but Bayou's the worst seller, hands down. I, I sell 10 boxes of Aramac number ones to every box of Bayou 32s I sell. Hmm. I can tell you honestly, I've never smoked a Stillwell. Not yet. I'm so into the brulee. I'm so into like the the red meat, uh, tricky traca. Yeah, look, Stillwells you know, are they're, they're 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 a weird cigar. They're a universe onto themselves. They're definitely a you're really going to like it or you're really going to not like it kind of cigar. You and know I can't I mean? speak. I'm so neutral because I haven't had one. Yeah. But I think it's, I think when you do smoke it, probably, you know, get one of each of the four, you know, try to try to smoke them with a clean palate. The other thing too is still well because of the nature of the pipe tobacco, you do have to smoke it a little slower because the pipe tobacco will go too hot on you. And that'll really ruin the experience. And I think it's also one of the reasons why the aromatics do so well is because the people that like the aromatics tend to be milder cigar smokers. So they're not trying to shotgun it the way that the guy who would smoke the English. And look, there may be a solution to this. And I'm going to start playing with it this year. Maybe the answer is not to make an English pipe blend, but maybe to just make a cigar with straight Latakia or maybe to make a cigar with just straight Perique. So those really super powerful tobacco note pipe tobacco notes are much more prevalent you know rather than oh this is a latakia styled english blend composed of some burley and some virginia and some gold and some red you know what i mean that maybe it's a little too nuanced um so i, I actually like pipe tobacco too so like um I, I smoke a pipe too uh i feel like i like the aromatics for sure you smoke aromatics or traditionals? Um, this is a great question. Yeah, we'd have this to is an that. Adam question. We'd have to ask our guy, Adam. Yeah, my buddy Adam, um, he's a pipe maker in, in this area in Buffalo. And he is, I mean, they do all their own custom blends. And, I, you know, they got all weird names. So, truthfully, I don't even really know. I would know that as like a Brian's blend or an Adam's you blend. Know, you would know just simply. Virginia's and Burley's and, you Maryland. know, all that. Aromatics. Yep. Do they have flavor added to them? Do they have that chocolate or the cherry or the vanilla? Or Probably the, the vanilla. Yeah. yeah, a lot of yeah. that stuff. Aromatics. Yeah, aromatic. Yeah. Which uh, is what really most pipe smokers, again. That would be probably, uh, that would probably. Serious uh, hardcore pipe guys, they smoke the other. Yeah. No, 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 okay. no. I don't need that hard punch in the face. <laughs> if I'm going to do that, I would just smoke like a fucking, like I said, a Neanderthal. Or, or or something, you know, if I want to get punched in the face, I know what I'm looking for. It's not going to be the pipe. All pipe, right. that's just to kill some time. All right. Well, I think, Steve, I don't know if I could speak for the rest of the guys, but I think I have one final question, 
with yeah. uh, PCA coming up next month, is there anything that uh, fans of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust can expect from you or anything new? Yeah, I, mean, I think for them, they're going to be kind of bored. Um, I have things that the retailers need. Like, I'm going to launch Wagashi. <clears throat> Wagashi was never intended to be a smoking exclusive. Wagashi was pre-released with smoking to make up for the hole that got left by Red Meat Lovers because Red Meat Lovers was such a money maker for them and basically got taken away from them through no fault of their own. So this is going to be a regular production. Then. So Wagashi is going to be regular production. So we're cool. going to make that available to all of our retailers. Um, we're going to add a size to Sin Compromiso. How the line doesn't have a Robusto is just stupid. I don't know why I never had a Robusto in the line, but going to add a Robusto. Um, we're going to have a, we're going to have, what else we got? We have a new size in, um, in Umbagog uh, called Bronzeback that's made using the 2LS wrappers. So it's a little bit punchier, stronger um, Umbagog. I don't know where that'll fit given Popetta. It may get overshadowed. We'll see. Um, and then uh, we're going to do, there's a couple other things. You think I know this shit off the top of my head? <laughs> That's all right. So we'll see you at PCA. You got to drink have, more of them vitamins, Steve. You're starting to get a little do, forgetful. We're going to do a, a, a Go Fuck Yourself Lancero collection. Um, Look at Gio. Gio's so excited. <laughs> yeah. Because um, when I was making the Nelly <laughs> Great Nelly, I made like 63 <laughs> different Lanceros. And we discontinued the Nelly Mail alone because, look, you can't keep growing this in the Western line. The retailers only have so much shelf space. So. You know, we've introduced Unstolen Valor, and then we did Bewitched, and then we did Krakatoa. Uh, one of the children has to be killed, so I killed the Lancero. But the Lancero sold at the same pace as the Naka Tamales and the Exclusivos. So it was really just my personal bias saying, well, if i got to kill one, I'm going to kill the one that I least like, which was the Lancero. But for the Lancero geeks, since I made so many blends making the Now Me Hell Alone, I'm making a 10-count box. Um, nine of them are actual blends that I made during the now leave me hell alone process. One of them will be a now leave me hell alone, but I'm not going to, I'm going to label them just one through nine. And then the 10th cigar is going to be this absolutely dreadful, um, Candela Lancero. And that's my go. <laughs> You've already fucking lost me. You've already <laughs> lost me. I'm Dude, out. Lost me too. In fact, I fucking hate <laughs> Candela. I hate Candela. Yeah. It's, lost it's like, it's like literally if you said to me, Oh, let's make the worst thing. You can. Let me make a Candela Lancero. There you go. There you go, um, man. I'm, I'm yeah. totally with you on that. <laughs> there lie. could be nothing worse <laughs> on earth than a Candela. So, I fucking hate Candela. It's just meant to be this fun, lighthearted project, you know, lighthearted. Just go fuck yourself. Eh. Give, give something for the Lancero geeks to give me their money. You know what I mean? And look, if they're willing to that's throw funny. the cash, I'm willing to that's, collect. That's really funny. So, uh, um, actually, oddly enough, the Candela one doesn't suck as bad as I hoped it would. Oh, uh, no. I'm actually thinking about re-blending it. Because <laughs> to make it, it worse. nicer than I expected. Um, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're like the bartender. like, listen, I'll give you free drinks, but you got to try the worst drink in the bar first. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, you know, we're going to... We got a few little things here and there, nibbling around the edges, and then you know I have uh, I have some like big exclusives of I owe. I I still owe exclusive to my friends at uh, at Black Lion Luxury. Um, I owe an exclusive to uh, Tim Swanson. Um, it's going to be called Leche Dora uh, for him. And uh, look, I'm finally this year is going to be the year that the 
the Black Angus FSG is finally going to make its way to Corona. So, I mean, and there's some other stuff, you know. There'll be another holiday. And I, and I have a little secret. I have two secret pet projects that I'm hoping to squeeze in. I don't know. It's tough. It's it's tough to to stay on top of everything. But we'll see what I can come up with. Well, we'll all be at the show. And we'll make sure we come visit and hang out on the leather couch. And we'll we'll have to have a cigar. We'll definitely catch up and we'll talk at the show. Sounds good. Yeah, look forward to meeting you in person. Yeah. And thank yeah, you again right. for everything you sent us. We appreciate that. Dude, you're the man. All right, no problem. Yeah, I was drinking right, out of this mug all day, so thank you. Those are good mugs. That company makes good stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I put my energy drink in here. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing, it's coffee. <laughs> yeah, they do. They, yeah, just different form. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need that caffeine. I need the nicotine. I need both. I'm but, on a cigar number two already, so. Steve, I, me too. Nice. We're going to do the Papa Saga, but... And that's Sin Compromiso. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Obviously, I know this was a time crunch. Uh, dude, I don't want to keep you from your wife. Oh, yeah. You know, when it comes to that, we all got one. So, Godspeed, my friend. And and, and whatever whatever shit she has planned for you after, I'll be uh, I'll be saying a little prayer. Yeah. Enjoy your party. You want to talk, we can. Um, you know, no problem at all. You want to do your Patreon thing, you know, dude, I would love to bring you on the Patreon. Love it. Just, just anything, you know, I'm not going to tell the guys that subscribe though. We do a virtual herf once a month. We should try and set something up. Um, I wouldn't even tell the guys that you're coming on. They're just going to be like, what the fuck? Things are really stupid between now and the end of March. Um, April gets better. May is crazy for me, but after May, my life becomes a little bit more palatable. Um, so yeah, it's just, I'm sorry about all the backfire. I mean, the the audience doesn't know this, but we rescheduled this thing three times to make this happen. Yeah. The last scheduling, like literally the last two were in the last 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's like, what the heck? You know? So this is a weird thing because this normally doesn't happen. Normally, normally I'm pretty good, but I just got so many calendar conflicts right now. It's crazy. Hey Um, man, life gets busy. We know. We appreciate you taking the time. And, you know, being willing to make it work. Steve, um, this is a little side note. If you could, could you leave your desktop up? Just this, leave the app open for like maybe five minutes. You don't even yeah. have to be there. Just uh, sometimes it doesn't upload the last 1%. And then I have to email you again. And it becomes a pain in the ass for everybody. But I'll edit this all out. And... You want me to keep the camera live? Or can no, no, you can turn that shit off. Just leave the app open on your desktop. Just fuck you guys. There you go, man. <laughs> but, uh. This is how you steal my credit card numbers. That's what's going on here. This is a scam. <laughs> All right, yo, you guys got the you you got the we got the company card. <laughs> all right, yeah, all right, we're good, we're good. But, all right, guys. All right, brother. Good chit chatting, and uh, Thank we'll you, talk Steve. to you soon, man. All right, have a good one, guys. See you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. And just like that, the Saka Squatch himself, oh. wild, wild. Uh, good conversation. Great conversation. Yeah, it was definitely. Uh, we went in. I feel like there were things we wanted to talk about that just you know the sidetrack just came and was very normal. But like we got more about the non-cigar side of Steve, which I'm sure he's been talking about for the last twenty years. It's probably the same story. Yeah. That he has to just keep telling. So I, uh, you know, I, I I like the fact that 
maybe there's some potential that we did touch on some things that he doesn't normally talk about, which I did appreciate, and I'm sure everyone else will appreciate. Absolutely. I mean, even getting into the lines here, like, I didn't even know that the Wagashi was becoming reg production, so that's nice. That makes this review so much better for us. Yeah. Because if this is going to be a regular production, this now makes it eligible for Cigar of the Year. Or at least our, you know, our top 10. So yeah. that's huge. That uh, I was a little concerned because I knew it came out last year. I was like, oh, man, we're going to do the Wagashi with Steve. And man, this thing, now it's regular production. This is huge. Yeah. I mean, so... Caleb wants to take a piss. Obviously, we can't do anything without Caleb because uh, he has to introduce the next two segments. You guys know how that goes before the cigar review. Uh, this guy. This fucking guy. Oh, boy. Did you expect... Uh, did you expect an hour and 40 minutes with Saka? No. I mean, hey, we, you know, the guy gave us, you know, said he had about a little over an hour, so, but still gave us the time. We appreciated that. Well, uh, I'm going to get to, I think before we even get into Patrol Gone Wild, we did tell our listeners we have a giveaway coming up. We do have a giveaway. And we have a giveaway. Uh, well, yeah, let's, let's just fucking roll right into that, Gio. All right, guys. Honestly, this makes the most sense to get, just get this over with. So, we did say we were going to give away, do a giveaway since we had Steve on the show. Uh, unfortunately, the time crunch made it a little bit harder. We would have loved to have him on for it just so he could, you know, see that. We got the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust hat with the leather embroidering or em, em, embossing. Embossing, embroidering, whatever. And then we got a five-pack here of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust cigars. So I, there's a Papa Saka in there. There's a Sin Compromiso number five. Uh, I think that's like a five and a half or six by 54. Um, there's an Umagog Toro Toro, and I'm missing one. Oh, yeah, the Brulee Blue. Yeah, and just because we set a five-pack, I threw in an extra Umagog. So you guys got two Umagogs. All right, cool. Uh, so as far as numbers go, Gio, what do we got? Just right. so I can get this up on the screen. I think one through twenty was said. That's I it. Will tell you. I think in so. A That's it. Yeah, people decided to not. Fuck it. Who cares? Hey, y'all slept. There were twenty three. Oh, twenty three. All right. So you just let me know, man. I'm good to go. All right. As I always with our giveaways, we spent it three times. Third times the winner. Um. Yeah. One to twenty three. So. All right. Let's I'll... go with the first one. All right. Eight. Eight. Oh, Ben Rollins. Six. Sorry, buddy. Six. Who? And then Scotty Scheffler. Here's our winner. Number 11. Number 11. Take Charlie it in a box 13. So okay. we'll be messaging you on our Instagram. Be on the lookout. We'll Who's Charlie shit. in a box 13? Uh, Who is that? Hopefully a guy named Charlie. Well, I'm sure let's his name's Charlie. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> it's good. good name, though. Interesting. Uh, Eduardo Texador Jr. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah, he followed us, I think, uh, pretty recently. Wow, all right, like, good. Uh, good win for so him. He gets a nice little DTT. Fuck it. Perfect, perfect. Uh, congratulations to our winner, and uh, Caleb, we have some things to get to. That's right. All right, up first, guys, you know it's time for Patrol Gone Wild, brought to you by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, makers of such fine cigars, such as Mi Cadilla, Sin Compromiso, Sober Mesa, and many others. Without further ado, let's get rolling. Patrol Gone Wild! We're doing it big! 
Sorry, a little late there on the gunshots. Um, but I'll go first. We have a Canadian drug dealer <laughs> uh, offers free samples of cocaine stapled to business cards. Uh, this is a story out of Canada. Uh, where are we going? He was passing out samples of cocaine on business cards with his names on it. Uh, was stopped by cops last Wednesday. Uh, his name is Saeed Amir Razavi. He was 30 years old. He was caught with more than 50 dime bags. Uh, portion drug sizes and uh, empty box of cards with the name and alias Alex Lee. That's what it said on the uh, on his business card with a little baggie of cocaine. Uh, they're on a hunt for him since Christmas Eve, so they just caught him recently. They were tipped off that he was outside of casinos in Calgary downtown, where he was offering business cards with these little sample baggies. Uh, Funny for him, they caught him with a ton of stuff. Uh, what did he have? 60 grams of cocaine in baggies with business cards. He had digital scare, digital scales with drug residue and uh, almost $1,300 in cash. So obviously uh, intent to sell right there. Uh, charged with two counts of trafficking of a controlled substances, one count of possession of the purpose for trafficking, and three counts of possession of uh, proceeds of a crime under $5,000. Uh, he is set for a court date on... February 26th. So, man is just trying to, like, hustle people outside of a casino. You know, you're up ga- late gambling. You're on a hot streak or a cold streak. You need that cocaine to keep you going. I got what you need, bro. I got what you need. The bump to stay at the table. Don't be a quitter. Do a bump and keep going. <laughs> <laughs> We're not advocates for drugs here. <laughs> or gambling. Well, or, well Caleb, you, you are a degenerate. Mm, some would say that. You are a fucking degenerate. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, drug dealer trying to be a little proactive, man. Still, I mean, it's a legitimate business, man. There's like almost no consequences for drug dealing now. So I mean, yeah. especially in Canada. Dude, in Canada, do, do people ever go to prison unless you kill someone? I don't know. What, yeah. uh, what is J- Justin Trudeau's? What's his stance on things? He probably likes cocaine. I'm not going to lie. He probably does. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. He does like doing blackface. I did see that. Yeah, he is racist. He's done it more than once. He's racist. He's done it more than one time. But they don't uh, cancel him though. He doesn't get canceled. Yeah, he's a nice guy. That's why. All right, I got one. Uh, an Amish family goes to Walmart and they have their horse and buggy stolen. <laughs> uh, you've heard me correctly. The Kia boys are at it again. <laughs> Nobody's safe. Not even the Amish. One horsepower, baby. One horsepower. <laughs> yeah, one horsepower. They took the goddamn. Uh, can you? Imagine. Can you imagine? Would love writing this report. Yes. Uh, Jebediah and his family went to Walmart and they got their horse and buggy stolen, dude. Uh, here's a little article on it. Uh, <laughs> Sturgis, Michigan. They went to Walmart and emerged to discover that somebody had stolen their horse and buggy while they were shopping. Uh, no shock. This is outside of Detroit. Uh, luckily, a truck driver parked in the store's parking lot witnessed the th- theft and gave the police a description of a female suspect, according to a news release. Later that evening, police discovered the horse, unharmed and buggy, and arrested a 31-year-old woman at a nearby motel. I don't know why she did it, Sergeant Aaron Moore of the Sturgis Police tells The Guardian. Uh, I've never had an Amish horse and buggy stolen in 20 years as a police officer, he added. The unidentified woman faces charges of larceny and larceny of livestock. 
Interesting charges on this because you would think it would be like an unauthorized use of a vehicle of some sort, but because it's technically not uh, like a vehicle. Can we just talk about the fact that that's probably like the first time in the last like 60 to 100 years that larceny of livestock was charged? Uh, it, it is in the books for a reason. Yeah. So what do you think it was right? Like, like if... If yeah, you were like, writing this report, how would you feel like charging it? Like you know that the person who's reading your charges is like you can't you can't charge that. It is. This is what they stole though. One horsepower, baby. I mean, it it is technically like farm equipment, so it is probably very valuable to the Amish. So it's yo horses, a horses ain't are cheap. expensive. Horses so ain't could, cheap. Horses man. cost more than some cars. Yeah, so it could be an expensive charge, or uh, you know. Especially if it's like one of those fucking breeder horses, man. Them motherfuckers, bro. Definitely Legit. a workhorse. So, yeah, we're we're glad that uh, the Amish family got their horse and their buggy back. Um, <laughs> don't see that every day. You yeah. don't see that one every day, and that one's out of Michigan, not Florida, surprisingly. So, Gio, what do you got for us, brother? All right. I got a Boise man and the underpants burglar rearranges his home during the he- rearranges the, his victim's home during the heist now uh jacob smart 38 has been identified as a man who has completed a string of burglaries in boise uh at one point he was so comfortable at the house he was like stalking this victim he was playing with their dog like in the ha- like must have been going that the dog got okay with him being here that's how often <laughs> like breaking into this poor person's home rearranged the furniture and stole their underwear. <laughs> uh, after he was identified in all of the, uh, he would kick down doors in some of them. Stole oh, so out- he did this at multiple places. Yeah. Uh, there's video. There's like ten different videos of it. It's just re- did some redecorating, <laughs> moved personal items. Uh, I think it looks better this way. Your your and, feng shui was off. In another burglary, the suspect entered the home while the victims were asleep, stole house keys, and was seen on surveillance video later attempting to re-enter the house, but the victims had changed the locks, thankfully. Uh, keys carried out five burglaries in Boise between August and October. Multiple stolen goods, including several, uh, were recently recovered when he was picked up in Oregon, but Smart fled while the cops were attempting to place him in arrest. He is still on the lam and aware of the half a million dollar nationwide extraditable warrant that has been put on him. So he is still out there running around? This is as of January 20th. I haven't seen any update. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, he's still out there uh, stealing panties. He's on a Did you guys see rate. my uh, lovely uh, graphic with that? The little underpants gnomes from South... Steal underpants. Don't yep. know. Profit. <laughs> yep. Dude. Fucked up. What a uh, weird fucking dude. This dude was probably stealing dildos and shit and like totally. doing weird stuff. Like this guy's a weirdo. He's a weird guy. This is a weird dude. Weird dude. Weird guy. Um, when you if see- this was the after her, I'd say lock him up oh, forever. Yeah. This, forever. This could be an after her club for sure. Yeah. Well, the fucking guy. Like he's looking at his mugshot from priors. Like he just looks like a guy that you would say if you see. Oh, this guy steals ladies' underwear. You're like. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. The mug fits the crime. For sure. Uh that being said, killed. All right. Another gotta, another fucking gotta kick off the news segment right now. Whiskey and cigar news. You forgot one thing, buddy. What a, oh oh you're a yeah, forgetful guy. Jeez, I'm forget- you're very forgetful. 
Yeah, Jesus. Where's my head at today? Where's my uh, script? All right. Oh, yeah. Tune in next week for another Patrol Gone Wild segment <laughs> brought to you by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Dude, this is a long episode. I, I'm, I'm, I'm lost, but uh, we'll get right to the news with Caleb. <laughs> Dude, you're shot. You're absolutely shot. All right. Up first on our news segment, we have Supreme Leaf Grand Robusto celebrates the Wooden Indian Tobacco Shop's 60th anniversary. So it is a cigar exclusive from Wooden Indian Tobacco Shop from Havertown, Pennsylvania, uh, with Agronorsa Leaf. It is a 5x56 box-pressed extra toro. Uh, This is the ninth size from the line, and it's the thickest to date. Uh, It is a Nicaraguan Puro. That uses a Corojo 99 wrapper. MSRP on each cigar is about uh, 1250 and limited to 500 boxes of 10 cigars. Uh, I thought this was a really cool story. Uh, Agronorsa Leaf, great brand. The Supreme Leaf, great cigar. And then they're doing this uh, exclusive exclusive with the shop. And just like the band on it, everything about it looks really cool. And uh, it's coming up real soon. Uh, so maybe something that we try here on the show. I always like to get this cigar. I, I don't think this is the first time I've said this on the show, but I really, really enjoy the Aganorsa Leaf, Supreme Leaf. Um, if we're going to do one, maybe we do this one on the show. I'm looking for a release date, but I don't see it yet. Yeah, if you can find the release date on it. Yeah, it doesn't say so on Half Wheel, so right now. All right, well, I'm sure we we'll be on just the lookout. call Wooden Indian. It's only a state next to us. Sure, it's really not that big of a deal. No, sure, we could pick up a box. Yeah, but it looks cool. Uh, the picture looks cool. The band looks cool. Uh, great size with the box press, so definitely something tempting to try. Nice. Yeah, a little box. What you said was that a box press or Busto, you said? Exactly. Yeah, that, those are always. I thought you said a Toro. But it's still a Toro or Busto. Okay. Oh, okay. All right, up next, we have Illusion PCA Exclusive for 2023 is going to be released. So they haven't done one since 2020. Um, which was canceled during the COVID pandemic, of course. So they're coming out with a new one right here. It is called uh, Deep in Your Mind, Deep in Your Flavor. I'm not sure if that's really the name, but that's what the packaging is. It, it wouldn't shock me. We talked to Dion last year at the show, and uh, you know, we asked him if they had any PCA exclusives that they were doing. Maybe we could do it on the show. Maybe bring Dion on. And he was like, "Nope, we don't have anything special." So. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a weird conversation, but well, maybe this maybe, year maybe we just caught him at the wrong time or something. But it was very uh oh okay all right yay I gotta go sell shit. Yeah, he's like all right I gotta go, and we we're like all right see you Dion, nice seeing you. Well, we'll see what happens this year. So the cigar is made at Racines Cubanas. Uh, it's a cigar factory out of Honduras. Um, so it was once home to all Illusion products, but uh, they moved everything to their factory in Esteli. So now we are going to have this. Uh, the blend not disclosed. Uh, the founder told Halfwell it uses tobacco from Nicaragua and Honduras. Um, the latter, which was not a common theme for Illusion. So uh, I got the little picture there. It's got the blue and the gold on there. Um, let me see what I got here. There's going to be 750 bundles of 10 cigars. So 7,500 total cigars for this PCA exclusive. Uh, wrapper, binder, filter, filler, all undisclosed, six inches long uh, with the 50 ring gauge. Uh, it's a Toro, and it'll be eleven ninety five a stick. So Perfect. Should be coming out soon. Perfect. All right, and up next, we have our last story. This is a, 
Uh, a whiskey story. So we have a new opening. It is called the Whiskey House of Kentucky. So it's going to open up this summer. Um, it's made by the three founders of Bardstown Bourbon Company. You have David Mendel, John Hargrove, and Daniel Lindell. Sorry if I mispronounced any of those names or uh, last names. So this is going to be unlike many distilleries. It is actually going to be closed to the public, and they are making whiskey for their own brands, and they're going to attract plenty of new fans. So it's going to be undisclosed to the public because they are going to be just like a higher-end, more experimental MGP. Mm-hmm. So that is what the difference is. So this is going to be like an MGP product, but higher end. You more- said this is the guys from Bardstown, right? Exactly. Well, they just opened up that beautiful new location right on oh, right on the strip in Kentucky. So, I mean, why would they need another tap house or another distillery house? <laughs> I, I don't like, know. they don't need that. So this actually makes complete sense. They're going to just go. This is like a giant. Essentially, what they have done is created a giant playground. Yeah, exactly. So that's what they, they want to be like MGP, but a high end MGP. So maybe more expensive product, more experimental. They are going to be experiment with a lot of new mash bill options and a lot of uh, toast and char levels to their barrels. Um, it's on situated on 176 acres in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, a uh, new state of the art facility, which will make 7 million proof gallons or 112,000 barrels a year. Uh, they have 16 traditional rickhouses on site. They could store almost 42,000 barrels uh, of whiskey, and they have a 50,000 square foot warehouse. So they're also going to have an on-site grain processing facility, bottling plant, and rail system. So uh, new this summer, be on the lookout for Whiskey House of Kentucky. So don't know who they're going to be selling to, what brands, if you'll see this in stores, what it's going to be marketed to, but uh, be on the lookout for it. Although you won't be able to go there in person. Just be on the lookout for the products they push. Sounds. I, I'm sure Jeff cool. Marsh will do some single barrel picks. Yeah, I'm sure Jeff Marsh will. He's already been He's there. He's already been there. He helped design it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I want this room right here for my barrel picks. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like new, exciting whiskey. And I've been doing a lot of research in where I found this story. A lot of sites such as... Uh, Heaven Hill and a lot of other places that we went to when we went to Kentucky, Jerry, a lot of these other places are expanding and opening new locations, sort of like this for experimental. So maybe we'll see some prices go down. Has there ever been a better time to be a bourbon lover? I think it's a good, I think we're in a good transition. The experimental series that all these companies keep putting out. I mean, dude, even on a local level, the experimental casts that are being put out. I mean, I just like, oh, what a time to be a bourbon guy, huh? What a time. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to all the stuff that Bardstown's going to start pushing out. Maybe you know, maybe they got the next home run. We'll see. Only time will tell. That being said, Caleb, did you get into your cigar review? Oh, yeah. I'm done already. Nice to know that this is going to be a regular production cigar. Yeah, so this cool. makes this review a million times better. It makes it a million times better. All right. So we did the uh, Wagashi by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Uh, appearance, I give this thing a nine. I really do like the, the green and gold. It stands out. It really pops. Uh, burn. Gave it a nine as well. I did no touch-ups whatsoever. Just lit it once and stayed the whole way through. Construction, gave it a nine and a half. Uh, the ash really held up. A nice stack of dimes. It did ash when I wanted it to. Um, it's great construction. Can't say anything bad about it. I didn't wear any little ashes on me at all. Uh, draw, I went with the straight cut. Gave it a nine. Uh, it just felt better with the shape of the cigar. Had that little uh, pigtail at the mouth as well. So it's like I didn't feel it warranted a V-cut, but... No issues with the straight cut. 
and enjoyment. We smoked this with uh, Steve Saka himself. I gave it a 10. So overall rating, 46.5. That brings it to a 93. Great cigar. Um, Additional notes. Uh, additional notes on my cold draw. I thought it was very, got a light, sandy cold draw. Um, as I went further on with smoking the cigar, especially in that final third, the spice and the pepper really kicked up. Hmm. But like it was a mild cigar. It wasn't overpowering. And I think anyone could smoke this. Sandy, huh? A little bit of sandy. Yeah. Sandy. Sandy. I looked over at Geo. I don't even think I switched the camera over. I think I'm definitely on camera going. No, I, I didn't get a sweet, sweet tip on this one. Not at all. I didn't, personally. I, I don't even know if you're allowed to say that. Steve well, would saying. probably... Steve is probably on his way here just knowing you said that. Well, I know people... You just canceled all plans. Well, I know people like to say that, but I did not get that with this one. Not at all. All right, listen. DTT Wagashi. Uh, appearance, I gave it an 8.5. Uh, it's literally the same thing as the brulee. They just added the green color. It's just a little different of a color. Nothing that special. The box is uh, just their normal cedar DTT box. Uh, the burn, I gave it a nine. The burn was perfect. I mean, this thing, uh, touching on burn and construction, which was also a nine for me, uh, zero issues at all. Well-constructed, light cigar. Uh, the ash was a little light. Did you guys feel that way? I don't know if you guys got that. Like, the ashes, I mean, I wouldn't say they're like, you know, like, sometimes you really got to tap the cigar to get the ash to come off. This thing was, you know, fluffy ash, fluffy, light ash. Um, draw, I gave it a nine as well. Really, really like the smoke output. Uh, the flavors were there. Uh, this is definitely an early morning cigar for me. Uh, if I were to pair this with, like, a coffee with cream, oh, my God. This thing would have been absolutely fire. Again, Steve touched on it, obviously, if you listen to the interview. This thing's not going to punch you in the face. This is a very mild cigar. This is an easy smoking cigar. This is like one of those ones where, like, you know, you want to just have a couple cigars. You want to just spend the day drinking cigars, watching football all day. This this cigar is right up your alley. And now it can be because it's a regular production cigar just announced. Um, overall enjoyment, we had Steve Saka himself on, sponsor of the show, sponsor of the uh, Patrol Gone Wild segment on the, on the show, uh, 9.5 bringing me to a 45 90 overall really like the cigar really really like the conversation um steve we appreciate everything you do for us we appreciate the uh the hospitality and the packages and you know all the cool signs and shit you send us and supporting the giveaways that we do um looking forward to the rest of the year obviously it's only fucking february 10th but Plenty to, plenty to go on. And what was your overall again? I just was 90. 90? Okay. All right. 45 overall, 90. Nice. I had a similar experience with you guys. Uh, my review, I gave the appearance an 8.5. Like you said, nothing. It's it's nothing we haven't seen from the brulee line. Just uh, the new color, obviously, to stand out with that like mint green. Uh, they do their thing. Sober Mesa's not really their most elaborate boxes mm-hmm. uh burn i agree with every but thing everyone said here that burn was a nine like i touched it up once maybe twice construction so this is gonna be one of my lowest scores believe it or not in terms of that cigar but it could have been lower i had a wrapper crack from all the way from the foot 
to the middle of the cigar, and then my cap was cracked. Really? Yeah. Uh, I still was able to smoke that thing through and have an enjoyable experience. That speaks on construction. Right. I still got to dock it a little bit for a wrapper crack. Sure. Like, like, I'm talking, this was like a good, like, half the cigar. Let's get a little more specific on this cigar. Yeah. Maybe if you remembered yours, (laughs) we would have had a better experience. Possibly. But... Well, I, I trust my uh, handy-dandy friend to store his stuff, so I don't know what happened. <laughs> but I still gave it an eight. What is it? One, two hundred hands. Two hundred hands. Anything could have happened. Yeah. Like, it just, that was unfortunate, because, like, I think at one point I was smoking, and I just saw, like, the wrapper, like, burn, like, fl- I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if you see uh, the back end of mine... <laughs> But, again, still an eight. Like, it smoked through it and was able to burn with a very, very large crack in the line. Like, so that filler and binder was enough to still, like, some cigars, that would have rendered it unsmokable. Uh, So that's why I gave it an eight. Draw. I gave it a nine. I V-cut mine. uh, Handed handled it well. There were no issues. Even with the crack already in the cat. Like, I did that, and I'm like... Uh, if I straight cut this, is it's going to make it worse? Like, did you V-cut? I did. Yeah, you fucked it up. No, it was already broken. Like the second I handed it to you? Yes. Good. You deserve that. <laughs> Jerry, it's dropped, your party, you could cry if you wanted to. He dropped it on the floor for you. Yeah, right? <laughs> Stepped on it. Uh, enjoyment. Really enjoyed the conversation. Steve's a great guy. Wealth of knowledge. You know, always has the... In terms of cigars, like it's one of those very like people that have like a total package because he really understands the business side, and I think it speaks to his resume. Where you have a guy that's worked in essentially every facet of the business. Talk about a guy that does not beat around the bush, huh? Yeah, that guy will just straight up tell you. I I, re- I like that. Like you're there was that one point in there, like even when he's talking about us, he's like, based, yeah, based on what we do, yeah. Don't you just feel like you appreciate it so much more? Yeah, because you know you're not getting any bullshit. Like no filler. Like we've we've uh, no short filler for us, baby. That yeah. was all a long filler. <laughs> yeah, but you know how it is. You know how when you're interviewing someone, and like we've even had it where the person's just kind of you know giving us the fluff version as opposed to their real opinion or anything like that, or uh, their brand's the best no matter what. Blah blah blah. Like. I love how he referred to us as like the little guys. Yeah. We're like, oh. We're like the biggest guys at PCA. Fuck you, man. Literally. <laughs> but that brought my overall score to a uh, 43.5. I gave it an 87. All right. Interesting. This is going to be an interesting little review. Yeah, what a difference of scores that we all had. Um, I'll be honest with you, if I didn't like that, ra- if I didn't have to dock at a point for the wrapper, I probably would have had closer to you guys, like in the nineties. It would have been a nine to nine point five construction. Well, we all had different scores. We had a ninety three, a ninety, and an eighty seven, bringing our overall score to a ninety. So, still a great score. Yeah. Love those little whistles, just like no. that. The yeah, whistles, the trumpets, whatever. I don't the trumpets, even, the horns, the whistles, the, horn? the trumpets. Those those are the fucking rap horns, bro. The rap horns. You get two. Yeah, I need it. <laughs> 90 overall for the Wagashi. Great score, I think. Great time. Great experience. Uh, that being said, any closing notes of the episode, Caleb? We obviously had a lot we went through today. 
um lot lot going on long episode hang in there guys great interview with steve Saka himself uh just make sure you're following on all our social medias we've got the instagram we've got the facebook most importantly we have the youtube subscribe like share comment tell your friends uh we have the tiktok too don't forget about that and uh for all you guys who aren't members of the patreon make sure you're subscribing to the patreon as well uh patreon.com backslash down to earth podcast and if you're listening to us audio only, make sure you're checking that out on a Cigar House or Podcast Network, the number one cigar network on Podbean. Um, Gio, did you have anything you wanted to close with? I mean, I think you guys touched on everything. Also, happy birthday, Jerry. My man, I appreciate you. you. But uh, You're almost that, 40. Yo, I'm not even on the back end of 35. <laughs> like, I'm not even on the back end of the 30s yet. Yeah. Not even close. I'm gonna give you that shit. I mean, you're you're kind of close. I'm gonna give you but that you're shit, not, guys. Guys, come on. I'm already feeling bad enough, bro. I mean, hey, you're closer than you are farther. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, man. But here's how I make myself feel better. Ten years ago, I was 24. It was only ten years ago. I'm only ten years away from being like 24. That's like young. You're also ten years away from being 44. <laughs> Yeah, but it only works one way. One way makes you feel better. That's true. Yeah, you're equally as close to 45 as you are 25. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you guys next Wednesday. The Down to Herf Podcast, its owners and sponsors take no responsibility for the opinions or statements made by the talk show hosts or their guests. Statements or show topics are not necessarily the beliefs of Mike and Mike Productions or the podcast providers, and opinions between talk show hosts may differ. It's not our intention to libel, incite, or hurt anyone's feelings. We invite you to write the show's host, Jerry Lewandowski, with any feedback or suggestions you have for their show. These broadcasts are presented and made public as entertainment in the hopes that they will be entertaining to the audience.